3: It's not human
1: intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going
0: to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to The Godless Revolution. This is episode 341 and was recorded on July 18th of 2021. My name is Dan Ellis and I was joined via remote connection by Taylor Grin and in studio by Ryan Duffy and our guest for this episode, Natasha Helfer. Natasha Helfer is a certified sex therapist through the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, a clinical fellow through the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist, and was, until recently, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She was recently excommunicated from the Mormon Church after nearly a decade of treating her patients using science and evidence-based therapies, which often come into conflict with the religious teachings of her former faith. Natasha's story received national attention and has been featured by dozens of media outlets. In addition to all of her experience in bona fides, Natasha is also an absolutely fantastic conversationalist. So we were delighted that she was able to join us for a lengthy in-studio interview. We did have a minor technical issue that forced us to make some changes to our editing process for this show, so you may notice that the overall sound of the show is a bit different than usual, but it's still good. Thankfully, we were able to identify the issue so it shouldn't be a problem in the future, with all of that out of the way, I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as we did. So we're just super happy to have in studio with us the infamous Natasha Helfer. How are you today?
2: <laughs> I'm good. Good. I don't know about infamous, but I'm happy to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're super excited to have you in studio with us because I, I've seen your name all over the place. Uh, there's been a whole lot of news. Surrounding you and your life and experiences, and a local religion that seems, well, not seems that is very dominant here in the state of Utah. Um, and your association and now non association with it, yes, I guess, at least right? officially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. Where? You're not, a U- you're not a Utah native, to start off no, with. No,
2: right? I I grew up a military brat, so I've kind of been all over the place. But I have lived here in Utah before. I went to BYU. My dad uh, served in Dugway Proving Grounds when I was in middle school. And I've been, you know, calling Utah kind of my home away from home for a long time because my family eventually, once they retired from the military, did end up here in Utah. So even though that was post-college for me, I... I've been here a lot, so. But it's been about eight, um, a year and a half now that I moved here, so oh, wow. I'm really excited to be here in the in the Zion <laughs> of the Zion's. Returning
0: to the homeland, you just came <laughs> here and declared, "This is the place."
2: This is the place <laughs> for me. That is correct.
0: <laughs> nice, nice. So you've been in the news a
4: lot
2: yes.
0: lately.
4: I have a question. How do you go from attending BYU to being a a sex therapist?
2: <laughs> it's a long road, right? <laughs> yes, probably I stu- one yeah. not
4: often traveled. Yeah, right,
2: right. Well, I studied, yeah, I studied psychology at Brigham Young University, and then I went on and got my master's degree in marriage and family therapy at Friends University, which is a small private university in Wichita, Kansas, and they have a history mm-hmm. that was started really by the Quaker tradition. So, although they're not affiliated with uh, the Quakers currently, I think it had a bit of a Christian spin. Not that I noticed yeah. that much. It wasn't like we talked any type. No, of the Christian Quakers are really low or,
4: key. They're the yeah. uh, endorsing body behind the American Humanist Association. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, but um, but you know, being in Wichita, Kansas, which is in the middle of the Bible Belt, you know, you get a lot of the, the cohorts and my just my peers and and also my professors definitely had, I think, like a Christian lean to a lot of their own things. And, you know, I think the intersection between marital counseling and counseling and spirituality and religion isn't that far-fetched. Like there's a lot of churches that have like in-house counselors, or there's even like a whole uh, degree in pastoral counseling, you know, so if you want to be a pastor of a church, but then also want to counsel people, you go and get your PhD in pastoral counseling. So there's always that interweaving, right, between um mental health relational health and religion and in a sense i guess from if you look at it from kind of an, an umbrella up above perspective we're all kind of in the same business right of trying to live life happy and with families <laughs> you know like at, you know at a high level you're kind of in the same business um However, we get down into the weeds and it can be really different, you know, what comes from more of a theological perspective of what it means to lead a happy life and a mental health perspective of what it means to lead, you know, an effective kind of healthy life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've noticed, like, it would would be great if more religions, in particular the the dominant faith here in Utah, had some kind of professional training for its clergy because, They're just people picked out of the pew to serve a calling in the church with no formal training in any kind of mental Uh health counseling or anything like that.
4: And suddenly you've got, you know, Bishop Bob Smith asking if uh, if 13 year olds are masturbating. So, yeah, with no training or really oversight or anything like that. Yes. So can you. Uh can you tell us a little bit more about so so to give the the version up front for the listener um you you were recently excommunicated from the Mormon Church for um advocating for healthy sex practices that were counter to the dogma of the Mormon Church. Can you tell us a little bit about that story like probably from the beginning where you made your public statement about masturbation right, or did the tension start before that?
5: Yeah,
2: I I often say that my tensions with my religious theology and my mental health profession started on day 1 of my master's degree <laughs> program. <laughs> so, I mean, cuz you know, you're having to uh you, you know, when you when you grow up in a kind of a religious mindset, um you're kind of in this space where everything has to fit into the religious mindset. So whether mm-hmm. It's your career or the news or politics or whatever. You're kind of trying to fit it all into this all-encompassing story, which is God, right? And your purpose for life and how you make meaning in life. I mean, that's kind of what a religious framework is. So, Mm -hmm. as I'm listening to all these, you know, especially in marriage and family therapy, which was very family-centric, a lot of that correlated with my theology. You know, when I'm thinking about family systems and understanding how people relate and how we can help couples have better communication and love each other more and all that, you know, okay, great. You know, that kind of fits pretty well with my, (laughs) with my Mormon framing. Uh Uh, But then, yeah, right off the bat, you know, we're being taught in ethics that, um, and this is, you know, my training was back in the early nineties. I'm being taught that we can't discriminate um, in regards to sexual orientation, um, you know, things of that nature. And that, uh, so, you know, so when your idea, when you're framing is that the only way to be happy is in a heterosexual, you know, heteronormative kind of existence, but you're being asked to see clients who are gay or lesbian or bisexual. And um, and then when those clients have their own ideas as to whether or not they should be gay or bisexual or lesbian because they're coming from their own Christian upbringings, things get tricky pretty quick, you know, as far as mm-hmm. catching your own biases. and. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad that that was really something that was very important to me, that, that really was important in my values of being able to distinguish that bias and to not impose my religious ideas on my clients. I, like, I, That made sense to me mm. in Ethics 101. Yeah. <laughs> and so I took that seriously. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And I recognized <laughs> that I was in that boat, that I had to be careful because my ideas about things like that back then were fairly traditional and, and pretty discriminatory. And now that I look back on that, it's kind of, you know, kind of brings up a bit of shame, you know, to think, gosh, I, I did used to think that being gay was a sin. You know, I, I, I did come from that framing. So, and then the the, the clients come in and, and then I've got clients, Mormon clients, a lot of Mormon clients coming in saying, I don't want to be gay. Help me not be gay. You know, and then. Like, well, I didn't get that training. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't get that training. And is that even possible? And so then who do I reach out to? Well, LDS Family Services. And they send me all these, you know, books that now I, I still have them just for historical purposes. Um, but now looking through them, I'm like, this is horrific. You mm-hmm. know, this is horrific, not evidence-based standards of practice at all. Right. And yet, you know, that's what kind of the ideas. That I would at least present to some of my clients, and they were Mormons, so it resonated with them. So, yeah. when you're all in that framework, it, it "quote unquote" works until it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just saw right. that a lot over the years. You know, with a lot of different um, issues. You know, the internet was starting to get really, you know, prominent. So, of course, now I'm getting all of these people that are super hyper about internet um, sexual explicit materials and. Oh, my goodness, my husband is, you know, addicted, quote, addicted to, porn. to porn. My kids are addicted to porn. Everybody's it's, addicted to porn. It's a national emergency. It's a national emergency. <laughs> and and the, the real, you know, the real pain and distress and fear, you know, um, in my clients as they were coming in. And so then what do I do? I'm like, well, who knows about this? And so I go to um, a conference that was headed by... Stephanie Carnes, who's the daughter of Patrick Carnes, who's the founder of kind of like the sex addiction model, and mm. I'm sitting there with all kinds of therapists—a full 500 therapists in the room—and she's talking about sex addiction, and and it's in Wichita, Kansas, or Kansas City, and I'm looking around in the comments, and I feel like this feels a lot like we're treating people like they're in a bishop's office, because it was all about accountability and contracting and micromanaging their behavior. And, and I'm like, well, but I've tried that and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it causes kind of even more secrecy, more problems. And so I just kept looking and looking and doing more research. And that's, those are kind of the issues that led me to finding ASECT, which is the American Association for Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And they're really the only kind of nationally renowned body that regulates and trains sex therapy. As far as like having a body of people who say this is what the qualifications are. There's, there's lots of people who say, here's a certification for sex therapy. And I came up with it myself. But this is like a national and international body. Like an
1: actual, people. like kind of like a, an
2: accreditation Right, an accreditation, process. association backed by multiple, you know, mm-hmm. uh, theoretical framings and people who are taking this field very seriously.
0: And, and you he- said that you came up with this yourself? No.
2: no, that I found them. Oh, okay. right. Sorry. So, yeah, so I found <laughs> them, and, and, you know, this was probably about, I don't know, 12 years ago now, and, and that's also when I started writing my blog, The Mormon Therapist, and, um, You know, when I started my blog, I thought it was going to be like a Dear Abby for Mental Health for Mormons. Uh. Well, it ended up being like a sex thing. Like, what? (laughs) I can ask an anonymous question? (laughs) Mm. So, like, 80% of the questions coming in were about, you know, is it okay to have oral sex? Is it okay to have anal sex? Is it okay Mm. if I, you know, what do I do because my my partner doesn't want to have sex with me, like, for the last 10 years? and. I thought, what about Oof. all the questions about depression and anxiety and parenting?
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys seem pretty preoccupied with this thing. Just like everything
1: on the internet, it turns to sex at some point.
2: Exactly. So mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared for that. And, you know, here I am, marriage and family therapist. I must know something about sex, right? I have sex. I'm a marriage and family therapist. <laughs> so, um, But I started realizing pretty quickly that I, I didn't think I was equipped to really answer some of the questions that were coming in. So, all of that led to me finding ASECT and starting that accreditation process. And boy, did my world implode. (laughs) Because if you think that I was dealing with my own biases and discriminations in marriage and family therapy school, I was definitely dealing with them in sex therapy school. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. As far as like, wait Mm -hmm. a minute, I thought healthy sex meant this. And um, they're like, well who's coming up with that parameter and really what you start realizing is that we have a lot of impositions on sexuality that come from religious monogamous privilege bias and if that's fine if you fit into that box but when you don't then why why is that framing the framing that gets to have the the authority on what healthiness means in Mm -hmm. this realm Right, so that blew right. all of my stuff away, and then I had to start challenging all my own personal ideas, challenging my own therapeutic ideas. Um, well, and, and
0: that, that that's kind of a new level set, right? Like you you've lived your life providing advice based on what you knew at the time, and and you know doing your best to help people, and then you realize that there are problems that you're like you said you're ill equipped to handle, and so you go in search of of better information in order to help people. And you hit a brick wall when it comes to a lot of the religious underpinnings for some of the things that you were led to believe as a best practice in order to help people. Right.
2: Yeah. That's- and it, yeah. And, you know, I have probably caused harm along the way, you know, as I think many of us in the mental health fields probably do, not intentionally, but
5: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, but-
2: mental health in general has had some – so, you know, the psychology field has had some doozies along the way that was, have caused harm and yeah. we've had to shift and change. And that's what's nice mm-hmm. about, you know, a science is that it has to shift and change. Mm-hmm. Whereas dogma yeah. is not required to shift yeah. and change. Mm-hmm. Which i right.
4: we've we did some episodes in the past on like the satanic panic and that child abuse scare in the 80s. Um and and one of the things that we covered pretty heavily on that is how for like about a decade the medical or the mental health institution was like very convinced that tons of kids were being abused by caretakers and parents when they were not and and doing really bad interview practices and that kind of thing.
2: Right. The whole repressed memories, um, concern mm -hmm. and all that. Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah.
2: Blaming mothers is another good one that we've had a long history. for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, I remember, so I, I started, uh, with an undergraduate in psychology, got as far as my practicum at the senior level and then, Realized it was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't like expose those raw nerves that way to it, right? Like my mindset was that way. Um, but I remember hearing a story from somebody in the practicum where they were saying that, um, a woman was exposing her daughter to sexual abuse because she herself had been exposed to sexual abuse and like placing that blame on the mother, mm-hmm. um, with regards to the child. And it was like, I, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the, like, no, stop victim blaming. Like, mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah, know, it's, it's the father who is doing the abuse. Like that's, that's where that lies. So yeah, it's wild to me. Um, sorry, sorry for getting sidetracked. <laughs> so you, um, <laughs> so, so you, you start getting the cert, um, and then, and then you've started to modulate or change your, your religious beliefs. And then you get to a point where you feel comfortable Um, basically advocating for, for a mental health position, uh sexual health position that is in direct conflict with the Mormon dogma. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? How you became confident enough to say that? Like what, what led you to being willing to make that statement openly?
0: Well, and, and I'm curious too, to know, did learning these new things challenge your faith at its base or was it that you started to wonder if maybe, you had just misunderstood something or had been taught something as a regional policy or belief that weren't necessarily parts of core LDS tenet. Sure.
2: Well, I think being a military person and also just having moved quite a bit in my own adult life, I've had um, a lot of regional experiences with the church. So I understand kind of cultural differences between maybe a more liberal progressive ward and kind of like a university town versus – award in the heartland of wichita kansas right um and there are differences but i I would say it started out as a little bit of both i mean i think at the beginning it was just like well my beliefs are true and and it's okay for me to be respectful and honor other people's beliefs so that that was the first separation right so i i don't think that was ever the type of therapist was like, no, I've got to impose my religious beliefs on somebody. But it was kind of that separation that, well, I think you're wrong, but I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. And that's not part of our therapy process anyway. But um, from a personal perspective, that's maybe how I would have seen it. Hmm. But over time, um, and and it's interesting because I feel like this was actually a very Mormon journey in the sense of like all the things I've been taught as a Mormon, like you're not just supposed to believe, you're supposed to pray, you're supposed to think, you're supposed to put things to the test, you're supposed to understand that by the fruits you shall know them. Well, when I've got like, you know, 500 teenagers in a row cutting themselves or depressed or suicidal because of masturbation guilt, I'm like, hmm, this isn't really making sense to me. And you know, I'm not I'm not seeing the fruits of, the, of how we're practicing our theology. And and I think, you know, I had taken, I mean, we have really crappy things in Mormonism, but we have some kind of cool things. Like, I mean, Joseph Smith is an interesting personality, but, you know, he has said things like, we can be wrong or bring the good things to us and we'll consider it, you know? And so I kind of took that stuff seriously.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was like, "That's that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. So, so I never needed, um, I, I guess my second step into faith transition wasn't that, oh, I'm completely right, and I just need to honor other people who are, you know, wrong in a kind, respectful way. It was like, well, but we in our theology supposedly have room for shift and change. There's ongoing revelation. There's, you know, know, we're kind of waiting for new scriptures to arrive someday. You know, like there's all this potential for shift and change. And then looking at our history and how it has changed. I mean, we've had some very significant changes, you know, in our doctrinal understandings over The short period of time that we've been around. Um, So all of that made me think, I think I can still believe in truth, and I can still believe in deity or God or, you know, all those kind of Mormon-esque kind of theological stuff, but we're not perfect. Prophets have made mistakes. You know, we're not always doing things exactly the way we should. And and so, yeah, I'd like to bring my expertise to the table. Um, And so going back to Taylor's question about what how I got the confidence to do that. I mean, I kind of appreciate that question because it, it was hard. It was hard. Um, First of all, I'm female. So right there, I have very little Mm -hmm. authority.
0: That's like three strikes against you. (laughs) Just (laughs) just that thing alone. Not 300.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So so I have no priesthood authority, right. To back up my ideas. Um, I mean, I'm like a lowly woman that, you know, she's well-intended pat, pat, but, you know, where does her authority really come from? And then, of course, my authority comes from um, intellect and science, which, of course, can be seen as prideful and, oh, she's, you know, waxing in her own pride and she thinks she's all puffed up and, you know, so I'm very aware of that kind of you know, critique that we have of people who think they know anything that that might be different (laughs) than than a leading, you know, priesthood authority. Um, So so those things had me always very cautious. And so I I didn't willy-nilly say anything. Anything I've said is because I probably spent three to five years really looking into it and really getting to know other people's authority. And is there research? And is it evidence-based? I mean, I'm it's not that I'm completely against holistic practices or energy practices or things that, you, that aren't really energy based, but in my position, I'm like, I can't be woo woo here. I've got to like <laughs> have, you know, like some like real, some, <laughs> some, some real data and some yeah. real things to back up any type of authority that I'm going to try to, to say. So, so my first. I've always been kind of a nuanced, progressive member. Just in general, my family were converts. We're not pioneer stock. You know, we weren't like a traditional LDS <laughs> family. Um, my mother's from Argentina, so there's cultural differences too. So, we weren't ever that kind of like stalwart Mormon-esque family. In fact, I was probably the most stalwart in my family. Like, I was the one that was going to be the good girl and... <laughs> get everybody together for family home evening. And, you know, even though I was, I was the oldest, you know, sibling. So I would do a lot of those kinds of things. But um, but I was fairly progressive. And so I would typically, for example, be the person in Relief Society when it was starting to get a little too perfectionistic. I'd raise my hand and be like, well, you know, we don't have to be perfect. And God loves us all, right? Remember, everybody? <laughs> so I was always that kind of member of the church. Um, so I was definitely, and then, as of course, as I became a mental health practitioner, I, I became more of that type of person. And so then when, um, so even as I did my blog, you know, I think why people liked the Mormon Therapist blog is because I was being very real. I wasn't saying things like, well, pray more and read your scriptures and all will be well. I was giving, you know, like, um, like actual advice, like actual <laughs> suggestions <Yeah>. and <laughs> yeah. tips that might work. And they weren't always, I mean, they, they wouldn't be things that necessarily would be against church doctrine, but they'd be more unique or things that we don't typically talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like, huh, maybe it's okay that you don't totally love your baby because you're in postpartum depression, right? Like, maybe that's an okay feeling to have and instead of just being feel super guilty about that what are some other ways we can frame you know what you're experiencing and and i would call out you know i think part of why you feel guilty is because we've got this kind of motherhood you know like you have to feel nirvana happy. <laughs> ideal yeah. that you're supposed to fit yeah. into right so i would talk about things like that but there wasn't necessarily anything super difficult in that from a doctrinal perspective um so, the first time I did know that I was going to cross a line was with my masturbation post um where I talked about you know, could we really consider this more of a normative human um developmental part of life instead of a sin, and uh what are some possible ways that we could frame that and here's the mental health perspective on it and the sexual health perspective. Here's some of the issues I see when we don't take that approach. Mm -hmm. And here's even some theological ways you could frame it differently. Like, you know, back then I would say, well, you know, like, um, if we're going to believe in the law of chastity, for example, we know that you go through a huge part of your life, your sexual life, not partnered in a heteronormative marriage. Your teenage years, some of your young adult years, maybe you go through a divorce, you're widowed. Some people never marry, so... Um, what a wonderful thing that heavenly parents <laughs> would have a self-regulatory way that we can manage our own sexual needs and desires without breaking any, you know, covenants in regards to being irresponsible with our sexuality, maybe with other people or something. So, you know, that was like an example where I would mm-hmm. kind of wax theological, you mm-hmm. know, and kind of instead of just staying in my mental health lane. But it took me like three days to push publish, oh really, on that mm-hmm. post, well that and I yeah. reread it and read it and and I was like, you know, and i was that was i don't know how long ago that was ten years ago now, seven years ago, i don't know i was I was definitely more um you know, I, I, these words are so hard to define, like believing, you know, I was more believing. What does that mean? I don't know what that means, but (laughs) I was definitely more in, I was active. I I was, you know, I had a calling at the time. So I You definitely had
4: faith as a mustard seed.
2: Yeah. I had, you know, I had that (laughs) space where I was like, if I push this, could there be ramifications to my membership? Could my Mm -hmm. practice be impacted uh, will people stop referring to me? Will I be ostracized um et cetera so but I pushed it because I really from an again my I see this is very mormon of me, my ethical do what is right, let the consequence follow type of self um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, was mm-hmm. like i i can 't sit with another teenager and not say anything you know yeah. i felt i I think elsewhere i 've said you know like if you 're like a cancer doctor and like fl- somebody's from Flint, Michigan, or something, or lived in Flint, Michigan. It's like, um, you know, the water's polluted. It's making everybody sick. And you're seeing all the patients coming in. And, but you're not alerting anybody that you're treating the patients and you're helping them once they're sick, but you're not doing anything to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be drinking this water. Yeah. Yeah, and I found yeah. that very unethical space for me to be in. I could no longer navigate that space personally. So that was part of my spirituality, my mental health ethics. So my professionalism and my, my own morality, I guess, were always kind of intertwined in that way.
0: So you had to listen to that still small voice. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and and do it's
2: exactly it, right.
0: Do what it taught you to do.
2: That's right. So and I and I and I did see it as a very spirit I saw it as as a sacrifice. I didn't know what the outcome would be and I was a little scared, but I was like, well, that's what we're asked to do, is to do scary, hard things. Mm -hmm. So it was very tied with my Mormonism.
0: Well and that and that I, I love that that's how this all came to be, that you've taken some of the best parts of your your religious leanings at the time in order to counteract some of the worst parts. And I think what else can we ask of people that they try to do the best they can and and harness the best parts of who they are and what they believe in order to service and help other people? I don't know why anybody would have a problem with that, but clearly some <laughs> people did.
1: <laughs> well, and, and you got you, – you searched out like evidence-based material and education to actually educate yourself. Was there an option to go with a the more theological approach to it, but you just – knew you had to go with the evidence-based one because you probably could have went down a route where you, I guess, spewed the Mormon, like, no, don't masturbate. I was taught that at this this school taught me that's bad, but you you didn't go to that one.
2: Well, I could have because obviously a lot of therapists do. And this is a big part of why I founded the Mormon Mental Health Association was because I could see um, a lot of – kind of unethical practice happening where people would either conversion therapists, mm-hmm. right. Or mm-hmm. these sex addiction treatment centers that have no efficacy to back them up. Um, and it's not even a diagnosis that so you can really diagnose, you know? And so, and, and, and so in a sense, it's like I saw therapists not being able to really take that ethical responsibility of my, my profession. Um, you know, it, it answers to, the the regulatory board and the code of ethics. My personal life maybe answers to God or my morality or to whatever I want it to answer to. But my, my professional life has to answer to the yeah. ethics. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you lose your license and for good reason. Yeah, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> um, and And so I but I could see that, you know, a lot of this kind of stuff was happening. Plus, I think there's also. There's also a natural tension for any therapist, ethical or not, between this idea of honoring people's values, honoring people's beliefs that are coming into your office, but also honoring science and what we know is effective for mental health. And especially when those things are in conflict, you know, we're not It's got to be a fine line. Yeah, we're not supposed to say, well, you're wrong and you shouldn't believe that and why are you you know in such a crazy religion that's not the role of an of an ethical therapist
5: mm-hmm.
2: but it's also the role to offer information and and interventions that are evidence based and what would be considered best standards of care
1: like masturbation mm-hmm. is a normal part of development it's- yeah
2: right so how do i you Say know, if, that. If it, yeah, so if an LDS kid comes in and says, you know, I've had this happen on many occasions, um, you know, somebody's trying to go on their mission, help me stop masturbating. Well, um, I don't know that it's ethical for me to help you stop <laughs> masturbating because it's part of normal human life.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: But mm-hmm. if I say that, um, they look at me with their wide eyes, and off they go, and they find the LDS therapist who will "quote unquote" help them mm-hmm. stop mm-hmm. masturbating, right? And so that's that's just a dilemma that we have all over this country. It's, this isn't a Mormon issue. This is this is theology yeah. versus science issue.
0: Well, and I was I was curious to know how other. Mormon, how, how other LDS people in the mental health practice deal with issues like that? I mean, is it because you, you have to do what you're trained to do as a specialist in this field? You're, you're not relying on your theological beliefs. You're relying on the things that you've learned are objectively true and, and wow. helpful and work toward bettering somebody's mental health. How do other LDS providers approach issues like that? Is it just that they, that they may teach the science-based things behind it and then have this cognitive dissonance in their own minds and that the real issue with you talking about it is that you did so publicly? Is that is that the biggest thing here?
2: Yeah, I mean, the role of a therapist is, is really at some level introducing cognitive dissonance about anything and everything, right? So when people come in with their ideas and their stories and their beliefs and... Um, even something as simple as internalized shame, like I'm a loser, you know, it's like, well, you can't be as a therapist going, well, you know, I've got evidence here that you're not a loser. Like that's not therapeutic. <laughs> you know? like, it's like, okay. Uh, so you have to ask a lot of questions and you have to get curious and what's that about? And are there other framings? Are there other possibilities? And what settings do you feel that way? And you know, so, I mean, there. Therapy is not education and it's not necessarily um, advice giving. It's more about really creating a space where people hopefully can bring things that they then have to sit with in an interesting kind of hopefully safe way that mm-hmm. possibly hopefully brings their own Ideas and complications. And and so then instead of staying in black and white thinking, they hopefully can complicate their story a little bit more and and walk away with framings. Now, that doesn't mean that there's solution-based therapy, there's definitely psychoeducation aspects of therapy, but in general, we are wanting to help people have cognitive dissonance moments <laughs> with their own can, lives.
4: <laughs> can, can, can I ask, I, I kind of want to ask a, a selfish question here. I love it. And and I want to keep this <laughs> tangent short. Um, but one of the other things that we talk about a lot on the show is is white supremacist violent extremism. Mm. And when you said that you introduced cognitive dissonance to complicate people's paradigms it reminded me a lot of something that's going on with another organization called life after hate Mm. where they use a type of therapy that they call Mm. re-pluralization that stops people from going down an extremist route where they see life as being like very black and white Mm -hmm. um and instead they introduce like new problems to their lives so they can see that the things that are causing them stress in their life are not caused by some like conspiracy scapegoat group so i guess my like bottom line question is, is and maybe this we should have done this offline is um, <laughs> what, what what what's my key term here because i kind of want to look more into this like how you said complicating people's problems like what, what am i going to look up um because that's super interesting <laughs> to hear that
2: <laughs> that's interesting well i mean a lot of these ideas um you know have they have been studied out like black and white thinking well what's black and white thinking it's a cognitive distortion that you know it's kind of language and so, um, and we have tons of them. I mean, if you look up cognitive distortions, there's probably like a list of 40 different types of ways that we as humans think um, and make sense of our life around us, right? And so, mm-hmm. whether it's catastrophizing or whether it's filtering, you know, like sometimes we only pay attention to the things we already agree with, right? Mm-hmm. Even though yeah, there's yeah. other information out there, that's like the form of filtering, so now, how you challenge that, and so, well, therein lies the five hundred thousand therapeutic models, right? So whether there's <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy or narrative therapy or solution focused therapy or um existential therapy- i mean there's you know there's many, many effective mm-hmm. ways to do that, and therapists have to kind of find their own path as to what
5: mm-hmm. speaks
2: with mm-hmm. them. I tend to be solution focused I tend to be. CBT, you know, kind of behavioral, and I tend to be very mm-hmm. systemic. So, like Bowenian, and kind of how systems interplay with one another and the roles okay. that we play in our in the system that we are part of. <laughs>
4: so. Gotcha. Well, sorry, sorry for the tangent there. I no, might have to bother you with just that's... a side conversation after this. Or, <laughs> okay. Or well, we'll I, I might, I might try and, and hijack you into a longer conversation at some point in the future on that because okay. I've
2: as long as it's consensual, yeah. I don't mind being.
4: <laughs> yeah oh of course of course yeah um i'll 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 try to bribe you or something i'll uh send you a beer wine basket um this is utah
2: (laughs) well that that's even more meaningful then
4: (laughs) um so sorry about that so what um what what happened next you know i guess uh, because because we've read the sanitized version of of your statements and then the, the conflict that started to happen with the Mormon church after you published your blog post, we've read the blog post, right? And it, I, I loved it. Um, I, I particularly really like the way that you framed it within that religious framework of like, no, we've, we see that, that fetuses stimulate themselves. Like this is an integrally human thing. And, and to deny that is, is basically to design, uh, to deny the like intelligent design of your creator, if that's something that you buy into. Right. Um, so what, I guess, what happened next? Like what actually happened next? Um, Cause you know, we've, we've seen the Salt Lake Tribune version of that story and I kind of want to know yours.
2: Sure. Well, and, and I don't know where you're going in the timeline. So, I mean, like after the masturbation post that I wrote, you know, however many years ago, which was my first, like, Oh, I'm going to do something kind of against, you know, against the church. Um, I it was interesting. I mean, I I did feel differences. So like LDS Family Services stopped referring to me. Mm-hmm. Um, certain cu- certain um clients that were coming in saying, Well, I don't know why, but my bishop told me that they're not gonna pay for therapy with you anymore. Mm. So things like that were happening. But nobody came and talked to me. Nobody which that's, I guess, what I was expecting. I was expecting to get called in and get questioned. And what are you doing, Sister Parker? <laughs> I was Sister Parker back then. Um, so, you know, I thought I was I was kind of preparing myself with my data, you know, and my, my ideas. But nobody ever brought me in and had a chat with me about those things. But I, I started noticing just, you know, you just kind of have that sensation that whether it was just me or it was my ward, like, the discomfort between me and my ward became larger over the years, you know, over the following years and several other things had happened. I mean, um, I was, I was making boundaries in my ward, like, well, since I'm a therapist, you know, there's certain callings I won't be able to, you know, accept, um, so, they'd usually put me in teaching roles. Well, then I'm teaching things that they don't always agree with <laughs> or different perspectives. You know, so then um, there's an infamous time when I brought up the clitoris and Relief Society. That was the last time I oh. got
0: in Relief Society. So. <laughs> wow. I, I need to hear more about this. <laughs> so,
2: there was a lot of things like that. And then I kind of started creating my own boundaries. Like, I wasn't really one of those people that would go in and, and, and challenge their authority. I I kind of felt like we were all creating our own space. Like they kind of left me alone. I left them alone. Um, I was doing putting up and testing
0: each other's boundaries. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was writing on a national level, but I wasn't bringing those writings and making them, you know, super congruent in my local level. So it was just kind of these separate parts of my life. But I remember, um, well, for several reasons, also theologically, but I st- I decided to stop attending the temple. C- one of the reasons was because I didn't want to put myself in a situation where somebody was going to get to decide my worthiness, you know, mm-hmm. to be there or not. And I knew, especially with some of the things I was writing, that they could very much say, we're not going to, we don't think you're worthy. So I just opted out. Um even though I, I enjoyed going to the temple and I would have still gone to the temple, but those were kind of some of the reasons. Um, mm-hmm. So I did all that. And then we have this uh, really painful episode with my kid at the time who um, is uh, gender binary. And they at the time were in young women's and had received their first calling as a made president, um, which this was one of the ways that we kind of knew our family was treated differently. We only had like two Maya maids or three Maya maids at the time. My kiddo had never had a calling in the Maya maid mm-hmm. or in the young women's organization. What are Maya so, maids? Yeah, I sorry. It's just every like, I don't know, 12 to 14 year olds are beehives, 14 to 16 year olds are Maya maids, 16 to 18 year olds are laurels. It's just okay. names for it's the... It's the
4: parallel to the the male version, which is like the... Shit! What do they call them? Like the deacons, the and deacons, and okay, and so then the once they're
2: priesthood, the Melchizedek, you know, all those kind—they're just developmental names for okay. different groups. Um, Like the kids go to primary, just the primary kids. It's just these names, okay? That are colloquial. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember my kid asking me one time when the same girl had been given the same calling for the tenth time. And they looked over at me and they're like, "Why, why don't you think that I ever got the callings?" And I said, "Well, I don't, I don't know, honey." And they said, "I think it's because you're my mom."
0: Ouch! Mm. Mm. That had to have stung a bit.
2: So, and I just looked at them and I was like, "You know what? I, I think you're right. I think you're right." So our family felt. I mean, we were in, we were active, we were there every week, but we were, we were definitely kind of considered a little bit Mm outsider-ish. But then they did get a calling. But then it was right around the time that Ordain Women movement was going on. And um, my kid wrote a piece for that. And they were also part of their Gay-Straight Alliance at school. And so there were some Facebook or social media posts that they had written about some of these experiences. They were savvy like me. They weren't bringing these things to church. It wasn't like my kid was talking about ordained women and their young women's class. Mm-hmm. But, um, but just the fact that they had supported some of those things got them called in to question um, them. And that was uh, kind of a debacle. I didn't realize my kid was in there for like an hour without oh. my permission. Oh, wow. Having like a doctrinal theological discussion with this power, you know, um, differentiated huge power adult balance, yeah. male mm-hmm. um, who's telling my kid they don't know what they're talking about. When my kid knew exactly what they were talking about, knew about the gospel essays, knew about all these things, the bishop didn't even know mm-hmm. about those things. So then that's, I get called in. Oh,
0: that's so frustrating oh, it was when so I hear that.
2: Oh, it was so maddening. Yeah. So they, they released, they basically fired my kid from their Maya made position. And it was mm-hmm. devastating to them. Devastating to them. And it was devastating to me. It was devastating to me. Because it was one thing when I felt like, you know, there's tension between me and the church. But boy, when your mama bear or your papa bear gets, you know, triggered. It was a whole other thing. So we decided, we went from one week to another and just stopped attending church. That was very difficult. It wasn't like we were in a faith transition space where we were thinking we were going to leave the church or anything like that. But we were just like, this place is not safe for our kid.
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: right now we're going to choose our kid.
4: Mm-hmm. And now were you were you in Utah or Kansas when this happened?
2: This was all in Wichita, Kansas. And this is okay. all with the same players that took part of this excommunication.
5: Mm. Yeah, Not the same okay.
2: players, but all the same people that know all this history about me and my family right, and right. all these people who, you know, are still serving in that, in that space. Mm-hmm. So, then we became kind of inactive. Um, but I kept doing all my same work, you know, as far as blogging and therapy. And, you know, by this time, lots of things are changing. There's lots of mixed faith marriages. There's lots of people leaving the church. It's kind of like... <laughs> The lay of the land has been shifting. It's not whatever's happening to me is happening to everybody.
0: <laughs> and shifting, <laughs> shifting hugely and rapidly. Yes.
2: So even mm-hmm. though I, I did lose what I would say more of my believing clients throughout this whole process, well, that was kind of replaced with nuanced, progressive, or post-Mormons that were looking for help with faith transitions, um, you know, uh, mental health Aspects of that, sexuality issues, all kinds of, all kinds of issues that come with leaving a high demand religion.
1: Which mm-hmm. you were kind of going through at the same time. At the time. same time. So it's, mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's almost like you were learning, probably learning along with your clients at the same yeah. time.
2: Well, it's, know, when people yeah. ask me about what's your faith transition, how long has it been? Or I'm like, I'm like, when have I not been in faith transition? <laughs> it's like from day one. Now. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: yeah. There's. It's right, very right. rare that I that I encounter anybody who can point to a specific instance in time that this thing, this one thing, is when everything changed for me. That's when I decided that it, I needed to leave it all behind. It's it's more of a snowball rolling downhill mm-hmm. and gathering more snow. It's right. not. Really, really rarely is it ever that somebody can go, Oh, yeah, I had this conversation <laughs> with right. this person. This right. one conversation had totally changed my mind about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So even though I'm becoming very nuanced, very, you know, I, I probably would have, again, labels I feel are like difficult, but maybe I felt like I was like a, Abstract, hopeful, Mormon agnostic, you know, by the time, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm very hopeful. I have no mm-hmm. idea. I really kind of don't care, <laughs> but I, I still find a lot of value and usefulness and symbology and, and, you know, just value in my, in my tradition and my home and my spirituality, whatever that is, you know, whatever that means. Um, well, it does mean you don't mm-hmm. get a planet anymore. Well, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm still holding out for my own planet. (laughs) I don't know what this craziness is that now we're we're going against the planets. Come on, people. (laughs) (laughs) No. So I yes I but so even though I was inactive, I still very much identified. You know, as a Mormon person, a Mormon woman, kind of had my own way. You know, my calling is different, my space is different, my theology is a little bit different, but why do only the Orthodox um, believers get to be Mormon? Like I get to be Mormon too in my own way. And and I had a knack for them because I was so in the middle. I had a knack where um, be- post-Mormons could feel comfortable with me because I really did resonate. I'm like, that's a totally viable way. It wasn't like before where I'm like, well, I think you're wrong. But I'm going to be nice and polite about it. And I'm like, I totally get it. Like, that yeah. could be very legitimate. In <laughs> <And> fact, <back laughs> there's days that I feel that way, too. And then and then mm-hmm. there's believers where I'm like, I totally get that, you know, and that could be very legitimate. And, you know, so I was not in a place of judgment at all. And so I think I resonated. And that's what maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. But that was one of the beautiful things about the support I received, which was so astronomically um overwhelming that it came from the whole spectrum. <laughs> and that was shocking to me. That really was, uh, you know, because usually either the post believers will support or the believers will support, but to have a situation where I had kind of support from both sides to me spoke to that my ethics and this whole journey I'd been on, the fruits were good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the fruits were good. Mm-hmm. And that was really meaningful to me.
0: This is Mithra, author of the ABCs of Science and Mormonism, as well as I Should Start a Cult, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution.
3: Looking back, I had probably let go of believing in any kind of supernatural God years earlier. What the bike crash did, or what that life-rattling event did, was it caused me to go like, look, not, not what do you think about God, what do you think about yourself? Like, Are you really willing to live out the rest of your life without full integrity, without being fully authentic? And the answer was no. Like, I need to be a real person. And so I need to be honest with the, the people in my life.
0: Rejoining the Godless Revolution podcast now.
2: So anyway, but we've gone to this inactivity activity mode. My second kid, my son, um, stays very socially connected to a lot of the young men in school and Not that Wichita, Kansas is like a a hub for Mormonism, but for whatever reason, he had a pretty good group of kids who were Mormon (laughs) and who were friends of his. And so, he wanted to kind of re-engage with Mormonism and and we, for a while, we stayed engaged with scouts. They were still doing scouts and all that. So, even though we weren't going to church on Sundays, we were trying to stay engaged in some other ways. Mm -hmm. And so, then we go back with my son a few times um, as he's going through kind of some of his high school time where he wants to do that. So... I was trying to be very supportive of my kids, whichever way they wanted to oh, go. Oh yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, but I, it's still very tense. You know, everybody's very diplomatically polite. Nobody's ministering to me, by the way. Like <laughs> nobody's coming over with casseroles or cookies. For a while, I thought, you know, oh well, when we stop going, oh no, now they're going to come, and I'm going to have to explain why we're not going. But then it was almost more painful when nobody came, especially with. The amount of time and service and money and, well, and the relationships
0: that you had built
2: the, that I have spent my entire life, uh-huh. you know, serving this community, and nobody even shows up to have a conversation yeah. about why we're hurting.
4: Nobody does, nobody does conditional love like the Mormons, in my experience. <laughs> yeah. They're all afraid of the heretic,
2: yeah. So that was very sad for me. Um, but that you know, I just kind of moved on so. We're in the space of just kind of we're all ignoring each other. I'm doing my thing. By this time, I'm I'm saying all kinds of things. I mean, you know, my masturbation post, like that's that's pipsqueak stuff, right? Like that's <laughs> I'm talking about trans rights. I'm talking about gay marriage. I'm talking about reproductive rights. I'm talking about all kinds of things in my advocacy work and my podcast and my blog about sexual health and uh, self determination and. Um, even, you know, non-monogamy, you know, contracts and how people can do that when cause people who leave the church, you know, sometimes they're interested in that. So, I'm, I'm taking a very, like, non-moralistic view to sexuality and more like a sexual health principles view to sexuality regardless of what you believe. So, I'm talking mm-hmm. about all these things. I'm not even really thinking about the church anymore because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, they're not. They're not bringing me in for any of this stuff. They haven't talked to me about any of this stuff. I'm still very respectful. I'm not, like, saying God doesn't exist, Jesus is a crock. I'm not saying, like, the church is lying about everything. I'm just saying in these particular ways that we interpret kind of um, sexual standards, I'm not sure that that necessarily has to be the case in order for us to still believe in sexual sacredness. Mm-hmm. Right, if that makes sense, so, um, so I'm I'm thinking we're pretty okay. Um, <laughs> I did do a few snarky things. I mean, I told President Oakes that he should apologize, and that saying things like "we don't apologize" is probably not a very nice thing. But I'm like, "Hello, like that's Doctrine One Hundred and One in Primary." So I'm not sure why a prophet is saying we don't apologize. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and I think I did write an op-ed, um, because President Nelson had, um. Who's the prophet for those who don't know these names? But he had made a talk that was very, very othering for people who leave the church.
4: Mm -hmm. And is that the where will you go talk?
2: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was very uh, just black and white in regards to people who leave and they're going to be separated in the heavens and. And again, for the next two weeks in my office, guess who I'm seeing? Teenagers, mixed-faith families, sobbing, you know, crying, like, am I going to be separated from my father, from my sibling, for eternity? I mean, this is, again, by the fruits you shall know them, like, these are not good fruits. This this rips people apart, this causes anguish, this causes depression, this causes fights. A lot of mixed-faith families, it's like every time I'm like, there's a talk like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, all these great things I just taught them and that they're doing are kind of undone because now they're fighting again about really, you should just come back to church and why don't you do this or that and mm-hmm. back to that controlling thing instead of respecting both a believer and a non believer in a marriage, which I think is really important. Um, so it's just, so I wrote a letter in the op ed for the Salt Lake Tribune directly to President Nelson. But again, that was like two years ago. It wasn't like, again, I wasn't called in right away. Like, how dare you? And I feel like my letters are fairly polite. I mean, I'm firm, but I'm not calling them names. They did find one name that I did say. They found the patriarchal prick name. (laughs)
5: so they found that
2: and and it took us forever to find it we couldn't find it I'm like where in the heck did I say this (laughs) (laughs) one of my providers she she, like did a huge data analysis of all my Facebook posts and she's like I finally found it and she's like, and I don't even know who you're talking about.
5: <laughs> and, and
2: we read it. And I was like, am I talking about the church or am I talking about President Trump? I really can't tell. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it wasn't nice. like a direct, you know, I've never like directly like called them names. But I am upset with them. I do hold them responsible for a lot of unnecessary tragedy for oh, yeah. suicidal rates in the state. Mm-hmm. For um, rigid thinking and, um, you know, when you talk in the name of God, that's a pretty big responsibility that I think you have to be very careful about. I mean, I'm super careful as a mental health therapist because that brings a lot of authority. But if you're talking for God, my goodness, you know, that that comes with. That's a whole other level. It's a whole other level. And when you're telling people they're not worthy or they're not going to make it or if you show up in a certain way, God is displeased with you. That carries huge, huge um, internalized shaming mental health ramifications um, yeah. and we s- and we are we're in the trenches of that yeah. we as mental health professionals are in the trenches of of the blood and gore and sadness and despair that that causes and, yeah. and
1: by time you're seeing it, it's probably kind of almost at like a too late of a phase because if they're homosexual or trans or whatever they're being taught in the church base like probably actively sequester that, push oh, yeah. it deep, deep down, oh, so yeah. by time. Mm-hmm. You see it coming out it's at it's at a boiling point it's
2: oh yeah it's right. it's extremely internalized um, and people may it's one thing to intellectually change your ideas like okay i'm going to come out as gay i'm going to accept myself as gay but it's a whole another thing to undo the first 25 30 50 years of your life where your emotions and your body memories and everything felt differently you know, it's a, it's a felt experience mm-hmm. And even when you do come out, you're still dealing with the discrimination of your family mm-hmm. and your community, and you know society at large. I mean, we we're doing a lot better over the last twenty years, but my goodness, it, this, it, it isn't very long ago. I mean, I grew up in the '80s, and I remember the horrific things that were said and how gay people were treated and the mm-hmm. names that were called. And um, mm-hmm. so, we're not. This isn't a long time ago. No. And we still have, you know, issues of discrimination and legal issues and the different administrations. You know, the Trump administration was horrific for transgender individuals and gay rights in general. So, it's just, just, um, again, it's bigger than a Mormon issue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But Mormonism definitely has these problems within Mm -hmm. it. So, so then I'm going through my own personal drama in my life. And I... My husband and I are deciding that you know we're probably going to separate and eventually divorce, and so kind of taking a slow approach to it. Um, Again nobody's been checking in on us. we're not really communicating with the local leaders but um, but if if you're finding the patriarchal prick comment somewhere on my Facebook feed, you're probably understanding that I'm moving to Utah because I was pretty open <laughs> about that yeah. So, I, I do decide to move to Utah, and um, so we're kind of like this two-state family for a minute uh, with um, our kids kind of back and forth between the two homes, but this is a, a very difficult time in my life, you know, a lot of change and shift and sadness, and, um, you know, even though it was a, a mutual decision, it was doesn't make it a lot easier necessarily, so... Um, yeah. So right in the, and then COVID hits (laughs) actually, no, it was right before COVID. It was before COVID, maybe like a month before COVID hit. So right as I'm moving to Utah that I get the first call from my bishop uh, saying, Hey, you know, we thought, you know, we'd like to have a chat with you. And I thought maybe it was about membership records, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what it was about. But I kind of got the sense that, uh-oh, here we go. Like maybe they're finally going to – but I had already moved. Um, I wonder if they knew that. I think – well, that's why I'm saying like yeah, my social I mean, media is showing yeah. everything. So it's like, not like there's tons of people in the ward who are my Facebook mm-hmm. friends. I mean the
3: Actually, state president
2: was my sta- my Facebook friend at the time. My bishop's – at least wife was. I mean – I don't know how people would It's just
1: weird that know. they would ask for oh, a yeah. meeting once you've moved, and they know it's going to be really hard
2: for you to come back. Right. right. I mean, I feel like if there were concerns, then they should have made one of those phone calls they always make to each other and mm-hmm. have my local mm-hmm. person maybe reach out to me. Hey, say, Sister
0: Parker, just noticing yeah, like, some things mm-hmm. that I thought maybe we should maybe talk about.
2: Or maybe like welcome to the area, and mm-hmm. then maybe there's some things <laughs> that we can. Talk here's,
0: about. here's some green jello that with orange in it. That would be a little bit for more. Some, yeah, how God, do you, how for do you move? Yeah. How do you move to Utah <laughs> as a Mormon and not get contacted by local Mormons? <laughs> right.
2: Well, and it was interesting too because at the time, my my local bishop was actually my next door neighbor. So. They did come over and welcome us, you know, and I mean, I don't know if he knew who I was or if I was a member of the church or not, but it pretty much, I pretty much signaled right away, like, oh yeah, you know, it's like my old ward. I mean, we knew, we, he knew that I was a member, but then COVID hit like two months after I had moved mm-hmm. and, um, we had that same kiddo that I talked about with the my Maid issue. They were in Argentina. We were desperately trying to get them home oh. before airports started shutting down and all that craziness. And mm-hmm. right in the middle of all that craziness, I get phone call, maybe number two. I don't know. And I was like, no, I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> this is not the time. I've got other life I, stuff happening, I man. I have like a lot of stuff. So, you know, call me back or let me know what you want to talk about or whatever. Um, but then COVID happened. Everything. You know, we all went into everybody, I'm sure, had all kinds of other things to be thinking about. So then it wasn't till. So when did COVID happen? Like March. Right? Yeah. Yep. And then so maybe it was like, may I want to say September-ish or some somewhere like late summer, early fall, that um they finally made contact, like the stake president and the bishop and me uh on a Zoom call. And yeah, I could tell that, you know, it started off, of course, with the whole, how are you doing? and we're so concerned about you. And and I kind of said, this is really uncomfortable. You've been absent from my life for seven years. Uh, I've been going through some very difficult things. Nobody has reached out to me either prior or during these difficult things. Mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable now telling you my life problems in that setting. And especially because I kind of knew that really wasn't why they were calling anyway. Yeah.
0: Well, not only do I not feel comfortable telling you my life story, but I don't feel comfortable with you approaching me and asking me questions about yeah, my life story at this very, point. Yeah, very,
2: like, interrogational, right? Yeah. And then, of course, immediately it's like, well, we want to know what your thoughts are about your membership with the church. And I was like, I'm fine with my membership with the church. Like, I don't – where is this heading? You know, so I was just very, you know, kind of – I was wary. I was cautious. Um And in in the course of that conversation, I started to understand that especially the stake president. My bishop was actually um, very loving. We had a good relationship. One of his kids, again, was friends with one of my kids. And he had, over the course of the years, tried a few times to reach out to me just to have, you know, as I was getting Mm -hmm. my son back to church. So, we had – I felt like I had a good relationship with him. Um, There was a stake president who was very, like – We're concerned about this, and these are our concerns. And I was like, well, it's always hard. Like, I've I've always tried to draw this boundary with leaders. It's like, are you contacting me as Sister Parker? Are you contacting me as Natasha Helfer Parker, LCMFT, CSTS? Mm Because those are two very different discussions. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, and and Mm -hmm. of course, you know, our priesthood leaders are not good at <laughs> separating drawing or having those boundaries. Prayers, right. Yeah. Like are you talking to me as a mental mm-hmm. health professional or are you talking to me as a person from your congregation? Right. Mm-hmm. Those are two different things.
5: Right.
2: And it was Sunday. I'm like, this is my Sabbath. I don't I don't you didn't prepare me for this kind of talk. Um, I'm not in the space. Um, I think I did become emotional. I'm like, this is a very hard time in my life. I'm not really understanding why this is coming up now. None of what you're bringing up is new. Yeah, what is the yeah.
0: urgency here that we have to have this talk exactly. right now? Yeah. So
2: can you give me some time? I did ask for uh, the stake president to put into writing some of his concerns so I could prepare a response. Um, and we left sure it at that. I'm sure that. We yeah. left it at that. And he did. He did write his 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 responses which by the way he sent to a wrong email so i didn't (laughs) even know he did that so then like it's not till like maybe after christmas i think that he got back to me he's like you never responded i'm like i don't even know what you're talking about um so i think he had responded in november but we weren't having another conversation till maybe january february Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. then i looked over the letter i'm like you know this is it wasn't even the most juicy stuff. It was, it was <laughs> masturbation. Yeah. It was gay marriage. Mm-hmm. My support for gay marriage. They had the patriarchal prick comment that you're <laughs> name-calling people,
5: yeah.
2: which I'm like, that's not really – I didn't I, – that's like a that's like a Molly Mormon, right? Like it's it's an idea for well, me. Like patriarchal prick is unrighteous dominion. It's kind of a crassy way to say unrighteous dominion. Right? Yeah. Well, was, and
0: unless you're a patriarchal prick, then I'm not really talking to you. Yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs>
2: right?
0: yeah. Plus, this was yeah. all
2: very kind of patriarchal prickish. What they were doing to me. Yeah. So, Anyway, <laughs> it was just kind of like oh. ah. Yeah. And, and, and it I seems think like kind, kind of like of a lazy mischaracter. It, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I felt like they were kind of trying to character assassinate me. Like, look at the language she uses. You know, patriarchal prick.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: When that's, I've said that like maybe once or twice, and it's not even the body of my work or my my um, mm-hmm. general attitude
0: towards. You weren't writing lot of a blog things. called patriarchal Park exactly, and,
2: you know. right? And and putting mm-hmm. down all the names of who I thought was, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
5: was you're, part of that group. list. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> and then they also, so it was, yeah, it was masturbation, it was gay marriage. It was the fact that I had used, I guess, very disrespectful language and name calling. And also, oh, and pornography. So my stance is on pornography, which, um, you know, that's really just me saying I don't adhere to the sex addiction model. Now, if that doesn't mean I think I don't have, you know, I'm not here to say you should or shouldn't watch porn, but... If you want to have a discussion about that, there's better models to think about that through mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of sex addiction, which we know is is very problematic in its own way. And also they made a big deal about the fact that I was using Mormon to describe a lot oh. of myself, right? Like the Mormon therapist blog, Mormon well, sex info. Instead Pope. of a
0: saint. Uh... Or
1: you didn't call it the latter day saints.
0: Well, or, I'm glad, or I'm was guessing it that they were glad like I didn't. you
2: were
4: representing right, yourself, exactly. as like being representative exactly of the religion. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You're, you're, yeah, you're saying all these things that are contrary to what we're about, and then you're representing yourself as one of us. You know. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, I did think that was a little funny since they don't want us to use the word Mormon. But yes, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's why I picked Mormon versus Latter Day. Saint. plus writing I, that whole thing out on like Twitter and the social media, yeah, so it's, it's just very too annoying. Much. Yeah,
5: but <laughs> I, I was so trying matters.
2: to be respectful in that way. I didn't. I didn't call myself. There are there are people who say the Latter Day Saint sex therapist. or I didn't do that. But um And I also have in all of my websites and everything, you know, this site is not affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because I did understand that that was important to not make to it the seem like I was a representative, yeah. <laughs> an official representative <laughs> of the church. So those were their complaints. And I looked them over, and I was going to start my letter, and I was going to start, but then I was like, why in the heck Are am you- I even talking to this guy? Yeah. He's not even my stake president anymore. Like, if I'm going to have these conversations, at this this point, he has, yeah, for me, I'm like, I'm at a totally different geographical space. I've moved my whole life. I know how this works. Why aren't my records being transferred? I even asked the next door bishop. I was like, have my records been transferred? Like, um, and, so and then, you, like you said, you've had little involvement for yeah, seven years. We've all been ignoring each other for seven years plus. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay. So I just – so I wrote him a, a what I thought was a polite letter. And I said, you know, thank you for bringing up these concerns. Um, I'm kind of in the space where I feel like you're no longer my state president. Um, so I'd love to continue this conversation with local leadership. And I wish you well. And good luck. Goodbye. Well, so then the next thing I get is the summons to my disciplinary council. So there was no even like response to that. There was no like, no, you're incorrect. This is why I am still your stake president. There was no explanation. There was nothing. So the
0: It's just an immediate, I'm going to assert my authority now. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a rebellious
4: woman. We can't have her. Yeah correct I guess
0: yeah.
5: yes
4: <laughs> get this Jezebel in line
3: Trevor. I'm like womp, womp. <laughs>
2: so then uh and so I received that letter I was kind of shocked I was like whoa this escalated quickly you know it's like I thought we, there would be several back and forth maybe they would ask me to do something like well because I'm like well what do you want me to do in order to stay in good standing? do I need to take down all my materials do I need to Promise to never podcast again. Do I need to wipe the word "prick" from my language? Like, what what is it exactly that you're wanting me to do? I thought we'd have those kinds of a steady progression of Mm -hmm. things, a
0: negotiation back and forth. Right, and then I would either tell me I will or I
2: won't do those things, and then it could still lead to disciplinary counsel. I knew it might still lead to a disciplinary counsel, but. I thought there would be like more some discussion behind discussion, it, yeah. Especially in something like when, if you're gonna take the LDS theology seriously, like you're talking about my eternal salvation, you're uh-huh. talking about all the ordinances mm-hmm. that I've gone through and my my sealings and my baptism and my endowments. I mean, those are things that um, those are heavy theological things oh, to yeah? just be like, oh, sorry, we gave you one week's notice and you're out. You know, I'm like, what the yeah. So, um, so that was very surprising and I spent the first week and they only gave me like, I think two weeks notice huh. from, um, and it, it maybe was it, yeah, I think that when I got it, it was a week and they were basically like, we're going to hold the council. If you want to come, you can, um, it's going to be held on this date in, in Derby, Kansas, knowing that I'm in Salt Lake city, Utah with one week's notice. Um, and if you want to, you can, you know, have some witnesses there or some letters of support or, you know, whatever. So, immediately I wrote and I said, well, actually, I was planning on being there in Kansas anyway. The following week, I'm like, my goodness, can you at least wait one week?
0: Well, and this sounds like the way this is being set up, it sounds like they'd already made the decision. Oh, yeah. yeah, This is just, we have to go through these formal yes. steps. But
2: I completely mm-hmm. believe that.
5: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: But I, even though I was, well, I believe that completely now in the moment, I was still a little hopeful (laughs) that maybe there was hope (laughs) to have, you know, some type of dialogue. But I figured that was kind of what was happening. But I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do everything the way that you're supposed to do it to see if there's any possible reconciliation here. So I was like, ready to play the game, ready to play the rules, right? Like, okay, chess game on, what do I do? I have to move a pawn? Okay, tell me where to move. it. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do I do? Um, so I asked for that ne- for that extra week since I was traveling to Kansas. Anyway, that is the only thing that they allowed me to do. Out of all the things I asked, that was the one thing that they gave me was an extra week. So the first week, I didn't even go public about it. I was just like scrambling. I was like, Contacting local leaders, I was contacting you know people I know that maybe know somebody. I'm not like a big Mormon cred person, so it's not like I've got apostles and (laughs) you know people in my background or in my pocket. (laughs) But I was contacting people maybe who would. I was like, "Is this normal? Why is this happening? Somebody, can somebody try to help me understand? Is there any way to push pause on this? Could we move it to Utah?" So first week, I was just trying to see if we could stop the whole thing from happening. And then, basically, I got a no from everybody, including my local leaders. They said, we've talked to President Daly, and we agree that he has jurisdiction, which was never explained to me. And when we looked at the the handbook of instructions, it doesn't really follow
0: (laughs) that either. Yeah, I was going to say, is there some some formal thing somewhere that says who has jurisdiction over this? It just seems really bizarre. It does say
2: that if there has been some type of um, problem... That has started, like a kind of like an investigation has started in a particular ward, and the person moves during that time, that it's gonna continue in that ward. Um, but nothing mm-hmm. had started before I moved. There, I had not been contacted. Or that but, you knew of. Or that I, well, yeah, yeah. right. So nothing had yeah. been started. And um and I do kind of agree with that cuz I especially in the in the realm of sexual predators Oh, sure, yeah. People it's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm starting to be investigating. We'll just move. We'll go to another ward that doesn't really know what happened." So, there is some level of accountability, I think, that is okay in that regard um, to keep it kind of with the people who know what happened in that space. Mm-hmm. But my story wasn't really a local story anyway. My story was a public well, story. I mean,
4: hey- yeah. Hang on just a second on that one though. Because yeah. I mean, if you had the case of a sexual predator, wouldn't the appropriate response be like turn them into their local authorities and let them get excommunicated by the prison stake yeah. counselor?
5: Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Right.
2: yeah. No, I mean I think that obviously there the lines of communication should be all over the place. And um yeah. Authorities should be involved, regardless of what's happening theologically yeah, or ecclesiastically. And the, and the lack of
4: duty to report right. in Mormon, yes. like the lack of training on behalf of Mormon yes. uh, leaders, that leads to a lack of of reporting and that kind of thing is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of my big problems with the religion. Still, is that they use untrained pastors. Yeah. So.
2: Well, yeah. and the and the confidentiality clause of the the clergy has been a big mm-hmm. problem. To begin with, that's like that again, that's not a Mormon issue, you know. This whole idea mm-hmm. that you should be able to go tell your pastor that you killed somebody or that you sexually abused somebody or that you whatever, mm-hmm. and then that that um, and it's so handled that, as a spiritual matter versus yeah. a
0: crime, yeah, right. Yeah, and that they're yeah. not
2: going to tell, you know, because matters of God really are bigger than the law anyway. See that that's the theology mm-hmm. that yeah. that keeps mm-hmm. these th- these systems. And when you talk about religious freedoms and a lot of how our country is formulated on a lot of that type of both theological and legal marrying of those concepts. That's why um, it's only recently that we have states and not all states where even clergy are mandated reporters.
4: Yeah. So that's, that's I've encountered similar things in the military too, where um, you have a considerable expectation of privacy with chaplains and not necessarily with your psychologists.
2: Exactly. Um,
4: which is wild to me. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, yeah. So then <sighs> they, yeah. So they, they send me. And so then the second week when I finally realized, okay, this is going down, I just, and I, and I thought, you know, I actually thought about what if I just don't tell anybody this is happening? Because there was a part of me that didn't really want, personal attention. <laughs> it, I didn't even really want mm-hmm. the church to have, to. you know, it's just, it's messy. Anytime something becomes public, it just, you know, it's messy for everybody. So there was a part of me that was like, do I really want, you know, a lot of attention for the church, a lot of attention for me. Um, but then as I thought about it, I'm like, okay, so let's say I get excommunicated and I haven't told anybody but I'm still seeing all my clients, and they all think I'm Mormon. You and know? that's not fair to them. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, well, is that going to feel like duplicitous for me, or are people going to be, or you know, or because I wasn't planning on changing anything,
5: mm-hmm.
2: I was still going to do my podcasts, I was still going to run my shows, I was still going to. So then I felt like people might say, "Well, she's just trying to," you know. Fool people or, mm-hmm. you know, wolves in sheep clothing or whatever. So, I f- and, and then I thought, well, but they can't tell anybody, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how that goes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as I'm writing a post, somebody from my old ward would say, doesn't everybody know she's excommunicated? You're not even a member I, anymore. You're not even a member. So I was like, who are you to
0: be talking about this?
2: It's just not going to work. So I just yeah. said, you know mm-hmm. what? Honesty is the best policy in this situation. This is what they're going to do. Let's just all go on this ride. Um, but I didn't think it would get the attention it did, really. I just thought really what I wanted was just to be honest about what was happening and to ask for letters of support. Thinking I'd get, I don't know, 50 letters <laughs> of support, 100, um, and that that would help my case. And And I really envisioned myself like, I don't know, I had this vision like, I'm gonna show up at this building, all by myself, <laughs> with a cloud over my head, <laughs> and, and I'll just go in there and face them and talk to them, and that will be it. You know, and then I'll go home very then sad. And I'll go home and I'll have a good cry. That's really what I envisioned. Um, but the support right away, like I mean, so many. Of my good dear friends, you know, saying, No, we want to witness for you. We're going to come out. Uh, people who weren't even really friends, but just had, you know, been part of my work uh, wanted to witness for me. Um, you know, John DeLenn was like, I'm coming out. You know, my friends, the Martins, we're coming out. I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, I, you know, so all of a sudden I felt this. You know, res- you know, just surgeons of love and support, which was very surprising. With that amount of notice, they only yeah. had a week's notice to get to Wichita, Kansas, which is one of these tiny little airports. It's not really cheap to get into, right? It's I hear like you can here. just
0: ride a tornado there. Yeah,
2: right? Exactly. <laughs> so, and people drove in and people, um, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And then these letters just start pouring in. And then my colleagues all got together and wrote a a professional letter, which I didn't even really – I mean, I kind of knew they were doing it. They asked me for permission, but I didn't really understand the – the scope. length of it. And I mean, they had like footnotes mm-hmm. and they had research and I was like, Oh my this is like a journal article. This isn't a letter. This is like a professional piece that needs to be published. <laughs> um, Don't fuck with scholars. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
4: exactly.
2: And over 800, I think there's still people signing I and mean, we might be wow. close to a thousand clinicians now that signed Uh-oh. on to that letter. Wow. So it That's was fantastic. very, very beautiful in that regard. Um, the whole thing ended up being a huge fiasco. If you want me to talk about that, I can. But that's the leading up to it anyway. Hey, everybody. I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly. We have the Latter Day Lesbian Podcast. It's the podcast about an ex-Mormon
5: gay girl just trying to figure out her life. Mm-hmm. And so we do that every week on a podcast, don't we? We do. You're supposed to jump in. Sorry. Just jump in any time. Okay. I'm
3: here. <laughs> We are available on your favorite podcast app, just uh look for Latter Day Lesbian, where your favorite podcast can be heard and you're listening to the godless revolution so I changed my theology a thousand times I mean by the time i but the the last God I believed in Seth was the greatest God in the world. He was so <laughs> wonderful, he agreed with everything I cared about. He was so nice he wasn't sending anybody to hell he wasn't responsible to, for any evil thing. And the problem is is that like, I was in love with that God until I realized, of course, like, if God and you agree that much, it's maybe because you invented him.
0: Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. So you said that it got more contentious. I can't remember the exact word that you used, more chaotic or something. Yeah. Um what happened?
2: Yeah, it was just very um, difficult. I mean, I think I was in a difficult state anyway, because I was trying in such a short amount of time to gather so much information um, while still trying to work, while still planning for travel, while still taking care of kids. (laughs) So I was (laughs) probably probably getting more and more sleep deprived over that week. Uh, I just wanted to gather my thoughts, you know? And I even, like, I still have them up. Like, there's um, these Google Docs that I just made public where I was kind of gathering my thoughts. So, like, document A was just like, here's kind of my testimony, right? Like, this is what my spirituality is. This is what resonates to me. This is why it matters to me to still be Mormon. And this is this is my theology, right? And then I think – um, document b i forget all the different things but here's like some like just resources mental health resources that back up kind of like what i'm saying and and i had document c like here's all the letters that i'm getting from the church and this is the communication i'm getting and i'm not getting a lot of communication and so i just wanted to be really transparent and i'm kind of methodical, you know kind of like i told you like it took me five years right to take any position
0: because i'd have to gather all my information while i was trying to do that in a week so well, and it's something that you're, you're trained to do, especially as a female in the church that you have to justify everything you're doing because you're instantly questioned. If you're, if you're a male and you may say something out of line or, or outside of doctrine, well, then they'll have a talk with you and everything will be okay. But as a female, you're instantly pounced on as no, you're out of line. You need to stop that. You're calling into question so much of the church's teachings and definitely. You know, as as a believer, you shouldn't be saying that. But as a woman believer, that's that's a that's a big big no no.
2: Yeah, I I do believe that. You know, the gender issues played a role as well. Um, That's always hard to measure, but I'm sure it did. And I felt, you know, I like I say, I feel it because I do always feel like I have to come super prepared. So I was already kind of frenzied just in my energy going to Kansas. I was upset. This was supposed to be a time that you know I was spending time with my senior in high school. It was his prom weekend. Mm-hmm. It was like track weekend. There was a lot of things going on. This was so now I'm having to deal with this very difficult kind of emotional intellectual. And thing when
0: really, I'm just trying to have fun with my kid. Yeah, well, and um, now you're now you're having these existential dread and fears of, of yeah, your immortal soul and what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, to what's going to happen? You're losing the keys to the kingdom, <laughs> right?
2: Which, I mean, to be fair, I I don't. I don't believe they have that power over me, but symbolically it's just so what a rejection, mm-hmm. right? Like what a, what a difficult thing. Um, but yeah, no, I don't believe a bunch of white men in Salt Lake city have power over my eternal <laughs> well-being <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I, so I, I, wasn't probably in a very good headspace when I got there, And I was just trying to prepare my thoughts. I didn't know what questions I'd be asked. I didn't know who, you know, who was even going to be in the room. I mean, I knew President Daly was going to be in the room. I figured his counselors were going to be in the room. I had asked for the high council to be in the room because I had the right to ask that. That was denied. Um, I had asked for the Relief Society president of my local ward there, right? So the Wichita ward um, to be there because that was – I guess, you know, again, in following all those protocols, that's something I, I could do. And I, um, I was conflicted about that. I didn't want to really bother her, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, to have a female presence there, I think that matters. And it's not my job. You all said yes to these jobs and that this is part of your job. So, yes, please be there. Uh, they did say yes to that. So she was there. Um, I had asked for a list of who would be in the room. I was never offered that. And Hmm. so, I just, yeah, and then I knew all these people were coming to support me. So, I just felt a lot of pressure from a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. I was definitely sleep sleep deprived. I was emotional. I was, um, you know, kind of just, I don't know, stimulated, right? Emotionally stimulated. I was
0: was angry. I was sad. Well, I think Um, anybody in your position would be. And the fact that they couldn't anticipate that or or refuse to even acknowledge it. Right. Seems somewhat abusive
2: so the people who were gathering and my support who were coming physically to the location um i think the idea was that they would get there about um an hour ahead of time my original plan was that i would meet them there an hour ahead of time say thank you for coming whatever answer some questions but i i was to the point where i just couldn't do any of that so i really just showed up five minutes before i was supposed to be there and so, I don't really know what happened before I showed up. I mm-hmm. don't know if – I kind of have a sense that they were asked to leave. Because I've been to some of these, by the way. So, I've been to Sam Young's.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I've only been to Sam Young's uh, disciplinary. But I've seen, you know, the the footage of like Bill Reels and John DeLynn and the Youngs. and And usually people are just – kind of standing around the chapel area outside, you know, Mm -hmm. outside, like on the grass or on the sidewalks or – but when I arrived, all of the people who were there to support me were kind of off to the side under this kind of like gazebo, like picnic gazebo thing, which I'm sure the stake uses for gatherings or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I believe that they were asked to go into that space, that they were not allowed to just be part no of the about. parking lot yeah. or the, the the grounds of the church, and I don't. I'm, I'm and they were all there, so they had complied with that if that's what they had been asked to do. Um, so then when I get there, all my witnesses are there, um, and they're it's the side door, so it's not even the main lobby door where they're telling us to meet them, and they're all just standing there outside the door. So I thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> I thought that they would. But I thought, well, you know, maybe they're waiting to open the doors at the time that we're going to go in and they're going to invite us all to come in. I had assumed we'd all go in, sit on the little couches they have, right, and wait our turns to go into the actual room. That's my assumption. Mm-hmm. So when I get there and I talk to my witnesses, I can tell that they're not doing great. And... um and they just kind of tell me, yeah. So they're having us sit out here. They're not letting us in. As two of the women needed to go to the bathroom, the steak center is not really like, there's not like a 7 Eleven right next door.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of an, an, an off part of town. Um, they're not letting them even use the
0: restroom. So, that felt very weird.
2: You know, like, what?
0: <laughs> well, there are signs out posted on the side of the building. Every Mormon building that says... Visitors welcome. Yeah, visitors welcome. Yeah. Come on in. <laughs> Learn more about it.
2: Exactly. So, they were, so we were all locked out. Um, and I was like, well, that's strange. So, I guess two of them had to drive to a gas station <laughs> somewhere to go to the bathroom. And right at the dot, of when they come to you know invite invite somebody in this gentleman comes out and very brusque very rude just you know basically says okay it's, you can come in now to me mm-hmm. not to everybody else you can come in now oh and right before that had happened um so john DeLynn was there you know like he does with all his video stuff for um live coverage he had started walking over to say hello to me and, hey, Natasha, you got here, whatever. The same gentleman came out and was like, you need to leave right away. Get off
0: the premises. I know who like, you are, buddy. You just can't. Just completely,
2: be here. very, again, very brusque. So that was the first interaction. The second interaction is, you can come in now. Nothing like, hello. I don't even know him. Mm-hmm. Are you Sister mm-hmm. Parker? Are you whatever? Um, nothing like that. So I go in and, um, and the first thing they add, and so they have, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. We'll <laughs> see. It's like, it's this little side entrance. So it's a very narrow hallway. It's not like opening up to a big lobby mm-hmm. like the main mm-hmm. entrance usually does. And there's a gentleman sitting at a little table. So between the table and the hallway, like, I don't know, it's like, Five feet or something. I mean, it's very small. Mm. And I would have had, you know, like, it's just tiny. So, they're definitely blocking, you know, like the entrance to the hallway even Mm -hmm. with this table and this man sitting there. And they have this paper that they want me to sign, which was the paper that they had already given me uh, stating that kind of their rules. And one of the rules was, there will be no recordings of any kind. Including Hmm. uh, writing. Like you can't
0: write notes. Oh, wow. (laughs) That seems weird. Right? Did they give you any reason for that at all?
2: I have been given no reasons for anything. (laughs) Can I just say that? (laughs) I love all these questions people ask me and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So, and I had, and that was given to us, you know, a few days beforehand. We were told all your witnesses will need to sign this. I forget what other... It was mostly about recording stuff.
0: Um, Well, you would think that they would want this to be a more transparent process, just for no other reason than to to be able to point to it and say, we're completely transparent in what we did. We feel we were fair and even-handed. This is what happened and why. The fact that they're not really transparent and open about it, I think, is a huge red flag.
2: Yes. I mean, if I wanted it to be
0: confidential...
2: They need to keep it confidential Mm -hmm. because it has to do with me. You know, like what if I had been bringing in for adultery or if I had been brought in for, you know, I I don't want maybe that to be recorded. And that's, it's kind of like therapy, right? Like I'm bound by confidentiality. My Mm -hmm. clients are not. My Mm -hmm. clients can say whatever they want Mm -hmm. to say about what happened in the therapy room with me. Right. But I can't say anything. Right. So the protection is for the person who's being brought in. Right. But the church is acting like they need to be protected. And I mm-hmm. agree with you. Protected from what? Yeah. If these are your protocols. And right. they always say, well, these are sacred and, you know. Super things. sacred and sacred. Super sacred. And I'm like, well. And I had rescinded my, you know, in one of the letters that I had sent back. I said, just so you know, I do promise I will not record because I was in this whole space. So I'm just going to follow all the rules and see where the rules get me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was serious about that and I am serious about that. And um but I said, but I would encourage you to record it. So you have a record of what happened, because I do think this is somewhat of a historical thing that you're going to have this meeting with a mental health professional, <laughs>
5: you know, in <laughs> regards to
2: whether or not she can retain her membership in the church. <laughs> so I, I rescinded my confidentiality. I said, I don't need that. If anybody wants to record this, by all means, go ahead and record it. Mm-hmm. And even if it's just kept as a record in the church, which I have no idea if they would do, anyways. How do I have? How do I know that they're not recording something? Right, and right. they have their ward clerk there usually in meetings writing notes, but I'm not allowed to do that. I'm guessing they have a record of it oh, yeah. in some way or another. The Mormon Church is excellent at keeping records. So, I had said, I don't care about confidentiality, but you do, fine. I agree. I'm not going to record. We had already signed that piece of paper. All of my witnesses had signed it. Um, one of my witnesses was holding it, uh, the piece of paper. They had a blank piece, the same piece of paper, blank. They said, we want you to sign this. They said, you know what? I don't want to sign this because we already did. I want to tell you that we came prepared with that document. Please go get it from my witness. Mm-hmm because um, I wanted them to know that we had taken that seriously. We weren't just coming and signing it in the moment willy nilly. Well, then the next thing he says to me is, okay, you're gonna have to turn off your phone. And I was like, what? He was like you have to turn off your phone. And I was like, well, I'm not going to turn off my phone. This is where I have my notes. I had written quite a few notes of things that I was prepared to talk to them about. Remember, I had no idea what they were going to talk to me about.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
2: I had written, like, I don't know, 20 different notes, anticipating 20 totally different questions, not knowing. because And I wanted notes because I know myself. And when I'm torqued, I'm not the calmest. Same. <laughs> Not And I didn't want to lose my temper and I didn't want to say anything, you know, prickish <laughs> and I didn't want to totally lose it. So I prepared these notes. Uh, I had purposely put them on my phone because I didn't want to bring in paper because I thought they're going to accuse me that I'm going to want to write down notes on paper. Um, I understand that a phone can record, you know what I mean? I know there's recording apps or whatever, but um, I, you know, for all that's worth, I could have a recording device up my vagina if I wanted to. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. what were they going to do, frisk me? Yeah, you could have
0: worn a wire in there. Of course. The there. And, we're gonna,
2: yeah. and to be to be honest, I had been offered those
4: things. Mm-hmm.
2: I had been offered by like three different individuals.
4: I would have that, been disappointed if you hadn't, to be <laughs> honest.
2: Yeah, and I knew I was yeah. going to disappoint a lot of people by not
4: doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not disappointed in you, but disappointed in... in- other individuals so they who would have not have given, given and yeah. yeah. been like, yeah. All right, hey, guess what? We've done this before. <laughs>
2: yeah, and there yeah. were several devices. There was one I could have worn in, like, kind of in my ear. There was one I could have worn like under my clothing. There was one that I could have put in a pocket. So I was like, I don't – it did not say ever in the paperwork that I would not be able to have my phone with me. Mm-hmm. It, it said recording devices. So I didn't consider my – I didn't even think about that really. I didn't even think about it, about my phone being a recording device. Well, they're kind of,
5: a, they've I'm become taking an I'm my one just
4: to say, oh, honey. <laughs>
2: right. Right. And maybe that's true. You know, maybe that was naive of me. That's fine. But I, w- I was honest. I didn't have any recording apps on
0: it. Mm-hmm. Um
2: I would have been totally nervous, like, oh, do I press? <laughs> I don't even know how oh, I would I've have. I've
0: got done to set that. this in the middle of the table for no apparent reason whatsoever. <laughs>
4: right? I
2: mean, it was just, you know, I, if they could would you have speak wanted towards to... my
4: flower lapel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. So that to me was like the final straw. I was not. Oh, and he had a basket. I could tell that, like, he wanted me to turn off my phone and, and hand over him. my phone into yeah i'm basket. not
0: giving you my no. property i'll turn it i'll turn no. it off whatever, i was like but, yeah. so
2: that was the fine after all of these things that they had asked of me after all the things that i had asked of them that were no 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 to me that was the final straw i i, I did not feel comfortable going in there without my notes um oh and then the next option they gave us was um gave me was well email us all those notes we'll print them off for you and then mm-hmm. we'll hand you those
0: notes. And well, they get to read them all,
5: exactly. They them and
2: I'm like, well, these notes—it's not like I wrote them a letter. Those notes are my personal yeah. notes.
0: Well, and a lot of the time, you, well, I'm guessing this is just me guessing, but I—I I would say that you probably had things in there that are meant for you and as reminders and cues exactly. for you. It wasn't for that, them. Yeah. yeah,
2: it was not for them. Yeah, and there were there were again i was anticipating questions so i didn't want them to read things that maybe they wouldn't have even asked me mm-hmm. about you know so uh, that was a hard <laughs> no i don't want to
0: outline all of my crimes
5: <laughs> against the church
2: <laughs> But the whole thing just felt extremely it felt like at that point like i'm like you're not a, you're not a court of law mm mm-hmm. you're not mm. Uh, you don't have a right to my personal property no you, this is kind of like an honor thing, you know, like I'm honoring your requests and you're really not honoring mine, but yeah. we're kind of pretending that we're in this polite space together. They,
1: they should have had a little faith in you.
2: Yeah, like <sighs> yeah. I'm showing up, I'm, you know, all this stuff. So they just came out and said,
5: you can leave. Oh,
2: wow. And I said, fine. Like it was, I was like, something had just cracked in my, <laughs> I was like, crack, fine, I'm out. And I just walked out. I didn't even talk to my witnesses. They're all like, what the heck happened? This only took like five minutes. You know, they're probably expecting me to be in there half an hour. I had half an hour, by the way, to um, defend my eternal salvation. Oh, wow. After, again, countless hours that I have offered in my life, but th- I was worth half an hour. Um, and I just went and, you know, John Delenn again is like, hey, what's going And I'm like, mm, I can't, I could not. <laughs> I was like, just. I can't right now, bro. I can't <laughs> talk to anybody. So I just went in this kind of other area of the lawn and I sat on the grass and I just tried to do my breathing
5: exercise.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Go to my happy place. Um, I asked, you know, one person to come and talk to me, actually, a couple, um, and kind of explain to them what had happened. But my assumption is like, well, this just went south pretty fast. Um, and and I did feel like they really don't have any interest in talking to me. No. And They wanted like, to talk
0: at you, not with you.
2: Yeah. Is it, yeah. And what was I going to be able to say in half an hour anyway? I mean, yeah. I, it, it just the whole thing felt, like you said, very already predetermined. Mm-hmm. But I was willing to go through it all. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to wait here. I'm sure they're going to go through all my witnesses. All my witnesses had... Also half an hour amongst all of them. So they all had like five minutes. Oh uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So my whole eternal salvation was really worth one hour. So there you go. And uh and they just no, they just dismissed everybody. So here's all of these women, which by the way, I don't know how much your audience would understand this, but each one of these witnesses was an active member of the church. And not just active, but temple recommend holding. So to be able to go to the temple, you know, you, you're kind of really complying with mm-hmm. what the Mormon church wants you to be doing. All of them serving callings. And they were pretty much not allowed to use the bathroom of their own church. Not allowed to, to present their witness statements, regardless of what had happened to me. They didn't ask them to turn off phones or they weren't even given that opportunity. Right, to to witness after they had spent money and time and energy to fly to Wichita Kansas. They were all from Utah or other areas. Um, I was appalled. I I could not believe how disrespectful they were. Yeah. So that was it. And then they and then the police came. Yeah. They called the police. So pretty much Within like 10 minutes, in my view, I mean, I don't know, maybe my timing is off, but um, we were all being escorted off the church premises, um, kind of treated like we were a threat or a danger. I came to find out later, I didn't know these things at the time, but I guess none of the ecclesiastical leaders had even parked their cars at the event. Wow. It all parked like several blocks away, uh, there was all this worry that the crowd would—I don't know—attack attack people's homes. Or I guess there was oh, like geez. the state president had a duty patrol at their home. I'm like, are
0: really? What the patriarchal pricks and cowardly what clergy? Are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> like,
4: that that doesn't surprise me at all. Like especially with regard to the Wichita police. Um, for the longest time, driving to drill on on Rock Road there, um, there's that giant church that looks like a teepee. And every Sunday there's a cop parked in the middle of the road protecting left-hand turns for people leaving that church, like at the expense of the taxpayer. And and they're just disrupting traffic so that the people leaving that church house can can take a left hand turn and, and get back on the rock road. And uh it does not surprise me at all that the cops in Wichita were playing bootlicker to the to the Mormon church that way yeah
2: yeah and KUTV News just did a I guess they um they accessed the records the because po- the, the police have CAM quarters now you know and so oh, yeah. they, ac- oh, yeah, yeah. they accessed those records to see you know what, what was being talked about or why the police you know how the police were managing this and yeah the police kind of showed up like we've been informed of a complaint like what's going on <laughs> and And then Mm -hmm. they, yeah, so it was, it was, it was when this is supposed to be, you know, this is your home, it's your church, it's your people, it's where you've served, it's where you've grown up, it's where you've had your spiritual experiences, it's where you've developed your entire life uh, to be so callously and um, rudely disrespected and dismissed was, uh, yeah, it didn't feel very good.
0: Yeah, that sounds really hard. I'm sorry that happened. That's. Yeah. I I think my frustration comes into it just knowing that from all accounts this this isn't something that they wanted to hear your side of it at all. They they had already, as you said, predetermined what the outcome was going to be. This was more just their their last bit of formality before disinviting you to pr- to to participate in their happy little club.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'll make it, I'll, I'll go further than that, Dan. They were making an example of you is what they mm-hmm. were doing. Right. I mean, this is inquisition stuff. They knew what they were going to do before you got there. And the whole purpose of doing what they did to you was to warn off anybody else who from a scientific position counters the dogma of the religion. This is what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. is what that strikes me as.
2: Yeah, and I, yeah. I do think it has huge implications for other mental health professionals. I'm not saying anything that many of them don't, you know, believe or practice themselves. So this is a -hmm. a wider discussion than just, this isn't just the Natasha story. This Mm -hmm. is a much bigger story with bigger implications. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
2: hope more are taking the
1: same approach you are, even if they're not public about non blogs or the churches and seeing it, but in private, in their office, I hope they're taking the same approach you are and not, Basically, being uh, I don't know, speaking for the church while they're trying to give real mental help that's based in science and study, and being like this works, this doesn't.
4: So, do you mind if I ask, um, what's next? You know, uh, is this is this something where you where you plan to pretty much keep doing what you've been doing, which is which is good mental health care work, or is this something that you are looking to turn into? Um, activism you know is there do you have any plans going forward uh bouncing off of of what has happened to you
5: yeah Um, and if not
4: that's fine you know i'm not trying to put put you in a (laughs) uh, pigeonhole that way (laughs) right
2: taylor i now have to do this because you asked me (laughs) no no i i do um for the most part feel like my my practice and my you know the way that i function will pretty much go as is you know i mean i was doing mixed faith marriage work before I did this. I was doing faith transition work before I did this. I was doing sexual shame work before I did, you know, went through this. So those are my passions. That's what I enjoy doing. And that will continue, um, all of my podcast work and even things that, um, you know, I'm not going to rebrand or ne- rename. I'm not going to go from like the Mormon therapist to like the ex-Mormon therapist. I did put a <laughs> disclaimer on the bottom of the of my post now that says, you know, just for people to know, I was excommunicated from the church. But, um, but no, I, I guess I don't really feel a need to um, do anything different because I feel like, in a sense, that would honor that authority that I'm not going to honor.
4: Mhm um no I get that. Um and and this is this is bad hosting on my part. Um, <laughs> would you be willing to uh uh plug your podcast, blog, uh etc. just so it's it's easy for people. And we'll put those in the show notes as well.
2: Yeah, you mean like tell you what they are right now? Like Yeah, okay, yeah, if, yeah, if, yeah. If, so I mean if you're yeah. comfortable with that. Oh yeah, for sure. So I write a blog called The Mormon Therapist. It's on Patheos mm-hmm. uh, which also has okay. a lot of cool atheist posts, by the way uh atheist yeah. writers. Uh I have uh Mormon Sex Info. That's a podcast that I do where I interview a lot of um really top-notch national people, authors, but also people within the Mormon paradigm, either professionals and or just public, you know, as far as how they've dealt with some of these issues. Um and I also run the Mormon mental health podcast which is under the open stories foundation. And that's just more general mental health, how it intersects with Mormonism. I am the founder of the Mormon mental health association. So if you're a therapist out there who works with Mormons, we don't care if you're Mormon or not, but if you work with Mormons and you feel like you do that in a culturally competent, ethical way, we'd love to have you. (laughs) Um,
5: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I also just have my, my website, Natasha com, And on that, there's quite a few like webinars and, you know, I have a, a quite a few sex webinars, like, what do you do if you're the low libido partner? If you're interested in anal sex, how do you go about that? Um, <laughs> how do you think about um, viewing sexual explicit materials in ways that are not through the addictions model? So, so I have a lot of webinars. And, do you, you talk
1: know, about how to bring up the clitoris at the wardhouse?
2: I don't, but Uh-oh. that would be a great little workshop. In
5: Relief Society?
0: <laughs>
4: I don't know where I would find that workshop, so. It gives, it gives Relief Society
0: a whole different it. meaning. Right? <laughs> yeah,
5: exactly right. A lot. Oh. I just had a call back to that from earlier because I thought it was funny. Uh, that's great. That's great.
4: I'm Bryce Barkinagel. Have you ever wondered if Joseph Smith was drugging the early Mormons? Turns out it might be possible when you have a fantastic congregation that is witnessing angels floating around in the rafters and think that the temple is on fire and they're running out in the snow and writhing around on the ground naked. Yeah, as it turns out, drugs might be the best explanation. Be sure to check out my Sunstone Symposium presentation on the Joseph Smith entheogen theory by punching that into any YouTube browser. And thank you so much for checking that out, and be sure to check out the Naked Mormonism podcast. This is the godless revolution
3: you want a Bible interpretation to support slavery. I can do that for you. You want an abolitionist Bible interpretation. I can do that. You want to subjugate women. I can make the Bible work that way. You want to elevate women. I can do that. Like you start to realize that I can make the Bible do whatever I want it to do.
0: If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the Twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you.
4: I don't know if uh, Dan or Ryan have any further things. I know that my last big question I have is, um, and and honestly, to a large degree, you've already answered this question, or at least half of it. Um I was going to say, how can listeners seek out good help in, in the things that you provide, which you've said with some of your resources, and we'll make sure that those are posted in the show notes. Um, if there's a way for you to like ethically say so that doesn't like create too much of like a, um, gosh, like a, like a counseling situation on the pod itself, right? Um, but are there any, bad therapy practices right or like religiously motivated therapy practices especially by way of like phrases that a therapist might use that you can like forewarn people about and say like hey if your counselor starts talking about like sex addiction, uh, addiction. you know, maybe you should look away, right? Like if they talk about, you know, conversion therapy, obviously we know you should probably go somewhere else, right? Are there any other like key terms that our listeners should be aware of? So if they go to like couples counseling or sex counseling, and they start hearing this stuff crop up that maybe they should start looking at alternative options. Yeah. Is that that question well communicated?
2: Sure. And I'm actually going to finish your last question because I am planning on doing continued advocacy work and this whole, um, you know, all these letters of support I received and everything like I haven't had Mm -hmm. the energy or time, but I would like to over the next couple of years, maybe conglomerate everything into maybe a website or something that kind of just kind of historically has a place to see everything that happens through this excommunication. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a project I'll work on. But just on side time, you know, which we all have so much time. To oh,
5: do that. yeah.
0: In all of your spare time. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: But as far as, yeah. So, I mean, I think that you, the first thing I'll say about professionals, especially in regards to sexuality, is that first, we, we just need to understand that mental health professionals are not trained in sex therapy. They just are not um, this is true of medical school people. This is true of mental health professionals. Like if you have me one class in human sexuality in a graduate school program, that's like doing well. So even mm-hmm. me as a marriage and family therapy, you know, clinician, which I felt like I got a good, you know, education as a marriage and family therapist, but I was not really educated in human sexuality. And so I think for the audience, for the public, it's hard because, we have all these acronyms behind our names. You know, everybody's got an acronym here or there. You feel like you're going to somebody who's an authority. Uh, for example, you may go to a CSAT, which is a Certified Sexual Addictions Therapist. Well, that seems pretty – That's
0: pretty problematic author- just in the title.
2: It's yeah. problematic in the title. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know any better, but you see the acronym it seems you think like, it looks oh, good. this person knows what they're talking about.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: But. They don't understand that like a, a CSAT a credential is really a credential in Patrick Carnes' program. That's a one-man program. He developed it. Uh, he certifies people. That's very different than like a certified sex therapist, which is what I am, which I had to, you know, go through this incredibly diverse training that was not created by one person, by a body of – of people who've decided these are the qualifications that it's going to take to be able to call yourself a sex therapist. But how's the public supposed to know that? Right. And if you go to a marriage and family therapist, well, they must know what they're talking about when it comes to sex. But like I'm saying, I wasn't really trained in sex. Um, And a lot of the things I learned in my sex therapy training were really like diametrically opposed to (laughs) my training in marriage and family therapy. So I think the public has um, kind of a bit of an uphill climb and figuring out who is this person that I'm going to see? What, what do their credentials really mean? What does this mean for the type of help I'm wanting to get? Um, and would this be something that would be seen as, um, effective? So, yeah, I can't tell you how many people have come to me after, you know, 10 years, five years of, you know, going through like sex addiction treatment, um, usually not doing any better for it. And, um, at least in managing their behaviors, I'm not saying that everything in those kinds of treatment approaches are bad and nothing is all bad or all good, but they're not really effective in getting their goals met. And, um, but they thought they were seeing, and they are seeing credentialed therapists are licensed. They're licensed that, but they just, they have a certification that really doesn't hold a lot of weight in the field of sexology. So, mm-hmm. One thing I would say is just really kind of get to know the credentials of a person, really understand their training. Um, if you're going to see somebody who is religious, especially if you're religious. Um, well, for ex- so here's an example of something that happened in my personal life. I took one of my kids who was dealing with some anxiety issues, so nothing to do with religion. I took him to a therapist in Wichita, Kansas, who was supposed to be like top-notch person, for anxiety treatment in children we're in there um, we're talking second session in my kid says something like well you know I think I don't know what he was worried about he was worried about dying from some weird disease or something you know he had some Mm -hmm. weird thing and the the therapist says God wouldn't want you to feel that way about yourself
0: inserting (laughs) their own personal beliefs
2: had never Mm -hmm. asked us if we were religious yeah had never asked us if we believed in God ourselves. Had never, you know, it's it's one thing. It, it still would have been bad, but it would have been better if he would have said, oh, so do you have religious, you know, yeah. like, inclinations? Mm-hmm. Do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. And then if he would have said, well, God doesn't, you know, want you to feel that way, that still would have been inappropriate for him to do that, even if we were all right. religious right. in the room. But I was just floored, floored that. That's where he Mm -hmm. went from a therapeutic stance. Mm -hmm. Now, if he had said, Do you believe in God? If he would have said, what are your, th- and, and let's say my kid had said, yes. Well, what, tell me about that. What kind of God do you believe mm-hmm. in, you know, or do you believe in kind of like a big scary God or a nice God <laughs> or, you know, like a, a spaghetti monster God, right? Like, what, what, what is that like for you? And if my kid would have been like, you know, well, you know, I think Heavenly Father loves us, you know, and, and then maybe the therapist could have said, well, does that belief help you in, you know, these feelings? Right. So that's appropriate that because we all as therapists, we are trained to see a person's religion or spirituality as a potential tool, because a lot of people do use spiritual ideas as tools to help them cope with life, help them make sense of life. So that would have been an appropriate way to use my own kids beliefs and values to say, well, is that something that could help you with this particular problem? And then my kid would have to sit there with that cognitive dissonance. I was talking about, Hmm, I do believe in a loving God, but hmm, on the other hand, I'm super scared all the time, you know? So <laughs> it's like, you know, he'd have to kind of deal
5: with
2: that, <laughs> that, that confusion, right? Hmm, why is that the case? So, um, so there are appropriate ways to bring up spirituality, religion, people's values, but not when a therapist says, well, I think this is how God is or, you know, or even just um, giving tools, like, "Well, have you prayed about this?" That's not an appropriate question.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: An appropriate question would be like, "Well, do you believe in prayer? Is prayer part of your spiritual practice? Yes or no." Okay, well, so if, as you use, have you used prayer to help you with this particular problem or not? So, again, curiosity questions, but never imposing.
0: Their own, their own spiritual, ideas. religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that seems but, way out of bounds. Yeah, let
1: them answer the question themselves yeah. instead yeah. of you giving them an answer, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah.
2: yeah, but there's a lot of myths that yeah. I think are a lot harder to pick up on because, like, for example, I think in this country we have this myth that in order to be sexually healthy, you're committed and you're monogamous, and if you're not committed and monogamous, then there's an you're gonna attachment get issue. Or there's a past trauma issue or there's, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that may or may not be the case. First of all, we've got plenty of people with attachment issues and trauma issues that are committed and are in monogamy. (laughs) And then we have lots Mm -hmm. of people who that's just not their kind of wiring. That's not – but we're trying to fit them into this healthy box, you know. So that's kind of like a a bigger thing that even just – it is religiously based when you think about – Why we have these ideas about sexual health and Mm -hmm. why it has to be in a committed, you know, one-on-one relationship Mm -hmm. that a lot of that comes from our religious inheritance. Mm -hmm. But uh, so we make all these assumptions Mm -hmm. about, well, because you, you know, because you've had three affairs in your life, that must mean you have an attachment issue. Maybe, maybe that person really isn't Mm -hmm. wired for monogamy. And maybe that, but we're fitting that person into monogamy. Yeah. Right. If that makes sense. Right. -hmm.
1: They're they're trying to follow what they've been told to do. Oh, I meet a person, I marry him, and that's what I'm
2: supposed to do, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. That's the only person
4: I ever have sex with. That's right.
2: That's the only play. And for a lot of people, monogamy works great, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. And we did this with, you know, the homosexual community. Like, oh, you're homosexual. Well, that must mean that you were sexually abused as a child. You know, it's like, well, that was the mm-hmm. case, there should be a lot more homosexual yeah. people. <laughs> you know I mean, like, so we make these, like, Oof. we take these, these aspects of human sexuality that don't fit the norm and we pathologize it and we assume, something, oh, because you don't fit the norm, something bad, happened something must have happened to break you along the way. Yeah. And we especially do this mm-hmm. with both hypersexuality and of course, no sexuality like, libido, you know, things, something must be wrong with you instead of maybe this is just how kind of I show up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um
0: and maybe there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, maybe yeah. there's
2: nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah. And if there are attachment issues or trauma issues, maybe they play a role in that, maybe they don't. So it's that mm-hmm. see so that's a little harder to pick out in a therapy space where because the whole culture is seeped in that. It's not just one religion.
5: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I thank you so much for coming on the <laughs> show first. This is this has been fantastic. <laughs> um and I I don't I don't mean to put us on off on too much of a tangent here, but one of the things that you said early in the show was that, you know, after you made your masturbation post and you started speaking more freely about some of the sexual health issues surrounding, in particular, religious beliefs, um, that you your clientele shifted a little bit. Or maybe it wasn't even necessarily that they even shifted, but they felt more comfortable talking to you and approaching you with some of these other concerns or, or issues that they felt they were having and i think it's a real shame that the, that the church has done a real disservice to not only the church uh but to its members as a whole because they've created this chilling effect now where anybody who would be offering support and counseling for people who have these types of issues now will be shoved into a closet of fear that they that they feel that they can't really talk to their therapist about these things and anybody who would be potentially Offering some therapy and assistance for people in these situations now will also feel that same chilling effect that they won't want to have to talk to that. And I think that's a real shame and disservice. And it's just so sad that the church has chosen to actively harm people going forward than offering them a means of support and, and value. That's, yeah, that's just awful. Yeah.
2: Well, and the church would say that they do offer support through their twelve-step programs and through, you know, offering uh, referrals to LDS family services. The problem is that they're offering resources that are part of the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I'm <laughs> I'm projecting some of my own personal <laughs> stuff onto what's going on here because uh, we we we've had some. Um, a little bit of a, fam- a familial dispute in my in my larger family recently and uh it was pointed out to a family member that we have a not even pointed out but they they made it a point of of saying that Tracy and I have a lot of gay by trans friends who are members of the LGBTQ community and this person said that we've worked you know quote unquote worked hard to surround ourselves with people like that and We had to point out that it's not that we've had to work hard to surround ourselves with people. It's that people have noticed through our thoughts, words, and deeds that we're a safe person that they can come out to, that they can talk to, that they can be their authentic selves around. It's not that we've gone out of our way to try to accumulate or collect (laughs) members (laughs) of the LGBTQ community as our family or friends. It's, it flows as a natural consequence of being loving and accepting of people with quote unquote alternate lifestyles that they can be their authentic selves with them, with yeah. us. So it's not that we're working hard for that. It's that we're not actively doing, You're doing things that away. harm yes. them and, and push them away by picking up on the subtle cues that we give.
5: Right.
0: And. So, yes, I was projecting a little bit oh, of, yeah, <laughs> of no, what totally we've been sense. doing here mm-hmm. because that's, it's just so sad that people, that so many people seem to view the world that way. That, you know, you have to work really hard to to gain the trust and and uh, friendship of somebody who's different than you. And you really don't. All you have to do is be accepting and meet people where they are and let them be who they are.
5: Yeah.
2: No, I think you're you're right. People gravitate towards safe spaces. And that's... That's the dilemma, too, in this story is that if you're a believing member of the church and you've got a gay child and who needs affirming services, but because you're believing and because you just saw the sex therapist got excommunicated for supporting gay marriage, Mm -hmm. who's going to be safe? Where is that believing parent going to feel safe? So they're going to gravitate towards unethical spaces that do not allow the kid who is a minor in the system, to access, you know, accurate and effective mental health services. And that kid then runs a two to five times higher rate of suicidal risk than teens who are in affirming spaces. So this has very big consequences.
5: Mm-hmm
2: in regards to, um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we're moving. I mean, there's more and more safe spaces where there are more and more places where people can feel like they can be authentic, but even in the research, it shows that clients will protect their therapists from their discomfort. So if, I, if you have a client who kind of gets wind that you're kind of a little uncomfortable talking about sex or that you're a little bit you know, uncomfortable talking about, you know, kink or you know, alternative lifestyles in the sense of BDSM or things like that. Mm-hmm. Clients will be like, "Oh, I get it. This is just not something I'll talk to my therapist about." Um, mm-hmm. But you know, we'll 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 stay on the topic of depression. You know, <laughs> because they don't they don't feel comfortable making their therapist uncomfortable. So that is really problematic in this whole idea that we as therapists have this ongoing responsibility to watch our own biases
5: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and why we're mm-hmm. required to go to 3 hours of ethics training every year.
4: <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so much.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, I go like, to gosh, ethics it's
5: training so funny too, to me.
1: but our my my government ethics training is don't take money from foreign people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't yeah. even hmm. see foreign people. I'm a firefighter. <laughs> I'm not going to take money from anybody. Yeah, no. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs>
4: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. This has been fantastic.
2: Well, good. I hope so. Sometimes I'm (laughs) long-winded.
4: I have absolutely enjoyed
0: spending this time with you, for sure. We'll have have you back anytime that you would like to come in. Well, lovely. I'll come in whenever you
5: want. We
1: got listeners all over the U.S. and in other countries, and I know a lot of therapists now do stuff over virtual. Do you offer those same services? If yeah. There's so there's, out there listening?
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot of regulation around uh, kind of virtual therapy. You're supposed to be working within the state, at least here in the United States. You know, okay. you need to work with people who you're licensed to see them in their state. And it's interesting when all this virtual stuff came up. They chose the client instead of the therapist. Oh. So instead of you coming to see me here in Utah, where I'm licensed. If you're in Kansas or Massachusetts or wherever, it's like, I'm going to Massachusetts, and if I'm going to Massachusetts and I'm not licensed there, then that's a problem. Although that's become, I mean, with with COVID, it's interesting that a lot of states became more friendly, and and then there are some fields that are going to more national-type things. International Mm -hmm. is also an issue, you know, like, am am I allowed to practice therapy in Finland or in, you know, wherever country um but the two that we at my group practice have developed a coaching model more of a coaching consultation model where we can offer more like educational and solution focused strategies and things that wouldn't necessarily follow the medical model of therapy okay and that we can offer to anyone you know regardless of where you are geographically so because there are a lot of people who need specialized help Especially with something like a faith transition in Mormonism, and you're in, I don't know, Vermont, and there's no nobody who understands the <laughs> cultural competence <laughs> of right, what right. the heck is going on. Because you, ha- you can have a lot of really good secular therapists say something to a Mormon like, well, if you're not happy with your religion, why don't you just go to a different church, completely not really understanding mm-hmm. the oh. cost mm-hmm. of what it means to leave a high-demand religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm how much how ingrained it is in your life exactly so that can feel very minimizing and it's like they don't get it i've also gotten the complaint like oh my gosh i spent like eight sessions teaching my therapist about mormonism
4: you know <laughs> instead of <laughs> and right right i had 450 dollars an hour to, teach, exactly. to give them the first eight <laughs> <Yeah>. missionary lessons <laughs> exactly so they can treat me <laughs>
2: <Exactly>. <laughs> so we do feel like it's an ethical responsibility to offer some levels of support and coaching and things like that to wherever anybody is and and again mormons have a lot of international presence because a lot of these, you know, people go on missions where they learn different languages and now they're diplomats or they've got jobs, mm-hmm. you know, in other parts of the world and but they're going through something very Mormon esque and like Ethiopia or something. I had somebody from Ethiopia going through a Mormon transition <laughs> and like, um, you know, mental health there is very different in to begin with. And then definitely not understanding the Mormon context. Yeah. So uh, we were a good resource for that person, so we do do online work. Um, and and we and in my practice, we actually have several providers who are licensed in several states. So, if you happen to be in like one mm-hmm. of the ten states we're licensed in, we can also offer telehealth.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and and we're gonna have just a whole ton of links in the show notes this week, uh, listeners. So if, yeah. if any of this, you know, yeah. uh, would appeal to you, definitely check the show notes this week. We're gonna make sure to have URLs for. Anything and everything that that yes. we've talked about today.
2: And if anybody needs to reach out to me, I'm always open to that too. We're, we're happy to point people in the right direction. So.
4: Yeah. I appreciate you for that because I pretty much just like, blind shot at you on facebook messenger <laughs> <laughs> like oh i'm so glad that she just-
2: <laughs> well and it's yeah, it's funny because this- i got so bombarded by messages that sometimes i'm just kind of catching up and i'm like oh that person contacted me two months ago and wanted an interview oh. <laughs> i kind of missed that one <laughs> you know, <it's> like- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway now i'm glad we connected
4: um so i always ask this one um and and like if there's nothing, there's no need to like totally get back into it. But I like this question at the end of interviews: Are there any questions that we didn't ask you that you've been looking for? Like you want to talk about this thing? Yeah. Is there anything like that that stands out to you that we didn't ask you about? That That's you a make great sure question.
2: I actually ask that question of my people too because I always feel like, am I not hitting something that they would really love to talk about? Mm-hmm. You know, when you say mm-hmm. that, I just really go back to kind of like, what is my main goal and you know my main kind of passionate space is to eradicate sexual shame and I know a lot of your listeners don't necessarily uh, resonate with you know religion or you know theology and that's fine I am a big believer I don't care where you come from you're probably affected by sexual shame
5: mm-hmm. because mm-hmm.
2: even if you were raised atheist even if you you were still raised in a community in a society that has so many, Myths and inheritances that have to do with the control of sexuality, that it's hard to escape how that might be affecting us. And the reality is that we don't even have comprehensive sexual education yeah. here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't I, matter your religious <laughs> affiliation or not, you're not getting educated yeah. correctly.
0: Right.
1: In regards America to is sexually
0: repressed. Exactly. <laughs> well, and yeah. regardless of whether you've been specifically. Whether you've, you know, somebody has sat you down and specifically told you that certain sexual activities are deviant or that they should be shamed or, or you should feel shame for them. You get that message consistently through all forms of media Mm -hmm. wherever you go. I mean, we, we, we currently have a system of rating television and film where you can show somebody shooting somebody else in the head, chopping them into little bits, dancing in their blood and having a, a mm-hmm. fine time doing that. Mm-hmm. But you can't show yep. a penis.
5: Yeah. yeah. That's, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah.
4: One of my favorite anecdotes, I was, um, I went to watch Deadpool. Um, and there was this guy with his kid sitting next to him. This kid couldn't have been more than eight years old. probably closer to six, right? Deadpool is rated R. Mm-hmm. And, um, it got around to the point where uh, Deadpool's girlfriend starts pegging him. And this, uh, uh, you know, this guy swoops up his kid and dashes out of the theater and says, this isn't a kid's movie. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. what did you think the R rating was for? And surely he thought that, oh, it's OK to w- let my six year old kid watch somebody get their head chopped off.
1: Yes, yeah. you know, that's the very first scene yeah, in, in slow motion. Yeah.
4: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. He was fine with that. He was fine with the opening sequence of that movie. Yeah. Um, but he was not okay with, with a woman using a dildo on a man. Yeah. And you don't even see it.
2: The Europeans yeah. criticize us all, all the time. Oh, yeah. They're shocked at the amount of violence that we allow our kids to, you know, consume. Um, and then that we make such a big deal about boobies and, mm-hmm. you know, private parts. Right. Right. But, um, when
4: most people will enjoy sex and very few of them engage in violence.
2: Exactly.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and We're very uncomfortable
2: with it. I remember even from like a yeah. Mormon construct, you know. I don't, I, I don't know if you've heard of the book series Twilight. Oh yeah, the vampire movie. Well, <laughs> it's, it's written by an LDS woman and there's Sparkle, yeah, <laughs> Sparkle vampire, and that's, that's oh. exactly that's exactly the same thing. You know, there's tons of violence in it. Uh, all the Mormon moms and dads let all the kids go see every movie except for the last one. And why the last one? Well, because they finally consummate their mm-hmm. marriage, mm-hmm. even marital. Like, I'm like, this is the kind of sex that you all it's think should be happening. Sex, yeah. <laughs> this is like right, how right. you want them to have sex. And you can't even let them see this thing. But, you know, the chopping off of arms and the burning yeah. of bodies and all of that was fine. A-okay. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's prevalence. I guess my, that's my message is that I think we all, I'm inviting everybody to think about. How might I have some internalized sexual shame? How does that show up in my body in the way that I think about my body, my own kind of self-love and relationship with myself? How does that show up in my relationships with other people? How do I think about sexuality? What's my relationship with sexuality? When we talk about sexuality, is it always crass and jokey and kind of silly? Or can we have conversations? How do I negotiate my sexuality with another person and with myself? I think these are all things that I don't know of anybody who couldn't benefit from some self-exploration or even some professional help around some of those areas.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. comfortable with my body. I don't know a friend from high school who hasn't seen me naked. (laughs) 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 They'll vouch to that.
4: (laughs) That's just because you streaked across the football field.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, it was way more times than that.
0: (laughs) Yes, mom. I was a nudist (laughs) in high school. (laughs) in case she didn't already know
4: (laughs) oh that's great that's great well gosh thank you so much um i really appreciate you for coming on the show especially for as long like this is it's quite possibly the longest interview we've ever done and it's not a bad thing this has been a fantastic
5: time yeah
4: thank you for giving us so much of your time i know it's valuable to you
5: yeah
2: no i I appreciate i i I don't mind talking, so sometimes that's not a great thing, but sometimes it's a good thing. That's what got me no. in trouble, people. Is talking. <laughs> yeah. um,
4: and we will we will do our best to keep an eye on your projects. If you get to a point where you're like looking at making announcements or anything like that, and if you need a soundboard for that, somebody to, to you know, yeah, spread that word. You let us know. Yeah, we'll be happy you. to do that. Yeah,
5: I'm,
2: I'm, I'd like to create this. It's um, I think it's Mormon sexual shame stories. It's kind of a website that I'm going to try to create, but try to do that in a thoughtful way and, um, culturally Mm -hmm. competent way. And also kind of like understanding that any Mormon project is going to be kind of a little bit mixed in with some of the racial tensions of today, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mormonism in a lot of ways falls, I mean, it's, you know, this whole white supremacy thing. I mean, we definitely fall Mm -hmm. under that. And so this is primarily a white story, you know, when you think about, um, So I want to be very careful about the intersectionality of of those kinds of things and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, understand that when we're talking about our pain, we're also ignoring a bigger pain that sometimes we don't even know how to address correctly. Yeah.
5: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much.
2: All right.
0: What a fun conversation with such an amazing person. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show, Natasha. We really appreciate it. We loved having you on as a guest. You're welcome back anytime you would like to come on the show. Thank you for your support of not even any individual community, but the community of humanity as a whole. You're a fantastic person. I was delighted to have met you and hope that we will see you again sometime in the near future. I want to be sure that we thank our Patreon patrons because their support is what makes shows like this possible. That would be. Two Skeptical Chaps, Alan Firth, Don't Be a Richard, Hunter Grin, John McCullough, Ollie Olson, Sinead Duffy, Steve Cuno, Stephen Andrus, Tiffany Hudson, Vanessa, All Hail Peanut Buttra, the guy that asks questions before he finishes the show, Andrew Vodopich, Corey Ebert, Jeff Peterson, Jeremy Goodson, Megan Mitchell, Utah Outcasts, Wesley Aaron, Freethinker215, Matthew Sanders, Chad Pryor, Janet Uter, Purple Dragon, Savita Kuna, Tim Jacobson, Trisha Weir, a noble spirit Biggins the smallest man, a perfectly cromulent statement. Ted Sellen, Sarah Segovia, and James. Thank you all so much for your support. We wouldn't be able to do shows like this without it. If you, dear listener, would like to become a Patreon patron of The Godless Revolution and support the work that we're doing here, you can do so very easily by going to patreon.com slash godlessrevolution where you can contribute as little as $1 per episode. And then you get fantastic things like early releases of the episodes, extended episodes, extended outtakes, bonus episodes when we do them, all kinds of fun stuff like that. If you're not a huge fan of Patreon, you can also contribute monetarily to the show by sending us money at our PayPal account using our email address of godlessrevolution at gmail.com. Thank you all so much. We'll chat at you next week.
2: But sometimes I can get really loud, so it depends. Like right now I'm noticing I'm soft. But then I have my cackle hyena laugh, and then you'll
4: all be like, (laughs) oh my gosh. I don't know how to pronounce IE combinations anymore because I've taken both German and Swedish, right. and like
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> now I'm just kind of screwed on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just have no idea what those letters mean in English anymore. There's
1: a, there's also a, a there's mute a, button there if yeah. you need it. Where? Right, the blue button. So if you hold that down,
5: Yes? Yeah.
0: Oh, that's good to know. <laughs>
5: oh, you're, t- <laughs> oh, you're
0: you're totally fine. I can I can fix that in post. <laughs> it's been
1: a while since we have someone in here. We usually tell them, "Hey, by the way, if you need to cough, sneeze, or do anything,
0: hold this button down because it mutes you."
5: Yep, yep, we, yeah, we, we That was that. that was my bad for not remembering to <laughs> tell you that. Sorry, you're, you're okay. Like, Please don't cough while he's talking. Please don't cough while he's talking.